Hey, this is how I win. This is no democracy. It is a dictatorship. Hate, 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 hate. Double hate. Load entirely. You're out of order. You're out of order. Everything that guy just says bullshit. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Your List Sucks Kong of Age Movies. I'm not Cody Newberry. I'm Cameron Holzman. I'm hosting this episode because I only just stopped being a teenager, and I'm absolutely still coming of age, because let's be real, I'm still on the emotional maturity level of a 12-year-old boy. Uh, <laughs> but regardless of that, uh, this is going to be a fun show. I've got a great panel. Uh, we're going to start with the man to my left, even though I have to point to my right to point to him, Mr. Scott Harvey. Hello. Hey, happy to be here with all of you fellow snowflakes. Um, this episode. <laughs> um, these are not just uh, you know great coming of age movies, but most uh, most of them are also among my favorite movies of all time, and this is arguably like my favorite genre. So uh, nothing but nothing but great ones on the list tonight. So. Absolutely. We'll move down to Mr. Brooklyn Vale. Brooklyn, why are you going to win and or lose tonight? Uh, I am going to win tonight because of Sue, and I'm going to lose tonight because of Sue. Uh, I actually conferred, conferred with her on this. This is like, for as long as we've been dating, coming of age has always been like that happy medium that we can always go to. Um, and I've always loved discovering new movies with her and also going back going back to classics. Uh, so if you don't like my list, uh, you can still just like message me because it's still my list. So. Okay, then. Uh, we will move over to uh, movie trivia showdown competitor Paul Oyama, who messaged me like two weeks before I talked to Cody about this and went, hey, because he was supposed to do performances of 2020 last week, then messaged me and went, hey, what if I did coming of age and went, I kind of already talked to Cody about me doing that, so whoops. Uh, but I agreed to have you as a panelist on the show. How do you feel you're going to do, Paul? Um, I'm excited to be on the show. I think I'll, uh, if I'm being realistic, I'm probably going to finish in last place, but I'm all about that. I'm embracing that, uh, you know, based on the taste of our host and our other panelists, I have faith in my ability to finish in the bottom two at the very least, but this is absolutely one of, if not my favorite subgenre of movies. Again, like Scott said, these are not just really my favorite coming of age movies. These are mostly just my favorite movies, period. Um, and I figured I'd take some time to spotlight some that maybe people haven't seen or haven't thought about. So it, I'm excited. Absolutely. And uh, up here, we've got Snowflake number four, as their name says, uh, Adelaide Spence. Uh, I know before we got this list that there are some that I know for sure we overlap on. Seeing your list, this this is an interesting list from you. This is an interesting list from everyone. Uh, do you have thoughts on how you're going to do? Uh, one of the few people on the show, to set the record, for having the worst list possible. Uh, I am excited that Cody is not here to reprimand me. Uh, and I might uh, have a bad list. Maybe Holtzman has bad opinions. Either way, I'm excited for this week. Uh, just remember, uh, even when I'm wrong, I'm right, because I'm the host of the show, and that's how the <laughs> show works, baby. Uh, but with that, I guess we'll get into it. Uh, you guys know how the show works for the people at home. We're going to do 10, 9, 8, and then 
five, uh, seven through four, and then three, then two, then one. Uh, so we're going to start with Scott. So, Scott, tell us your 10, your nine, and your eight. And y'all know how Yikesing works. Yeah, as a brief precursor, I just want to say I didn't necessarily rank them like favorites uh, as much as I did what I think best embodies the genre. So just with that in mind, my 10 is The Spectacular Now. My nine is eighth grade. And my eight is The Graduate. Yikes. Sorry, I froze for a second. Was eighth grade yikes or not? No, it, so yeah, it, it is also my eight. Okay. Um, okay, then The Spectacular Now is my 10. Um, yeah, I think this is a really beautiful movie that starts off acting like it's going to be, you know, a teen romance, um, you know, which you've seen before, albeit with interesting characters, Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley as uh, Sutter and Amy. Um, and then it goes in some really interesting um, and darker directions in the second half of this movie. Um, it becomes a movie about alcoholism, which I think is really interesting, especially in the coming of age setting. Um, and I just really like the, the characters arcs um, and the fact that we see this movie through the perspective of the popular kid, the cool kid, rather than seeing it through sort of the perspective of the wallflower, so to speak, like we would normally in these movies. And it has a great ending as well. So uh, I think this is a really lovely movie. And then eighth grade is my number nine. Um, I think this movie is so perceptive about the way that um, teenagers are affected by the internet age nowadays. Um, you know, just the scenes of like Elsie Fisher's Kayla scrolling through Instagram and, um, you know, just trying to model herself after the lives that she sees on social media and all, you know, Instagram and everything is um, really perceptive filmmaking by Bo Burnham. There's some really well-staged sequences in this. The pool scene, I think, is uh, is really effective. I mean, a lot of these movies have pool scenes, but this one is a particularly well-shot one, I think. Um, and yeah, I mean, Elsie Fisher is just one. It's one of those naturalistic things where she's not really playing a character. She's just doing her. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the best coming-of-age movies for capturing the anxiety of growing up. There's some really anxiety-inducing sequences in this movie. Um, but ultimately, it's it's uplifting and heartfelt. So uh, I'm a big fan of 8th grade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Scott, Scott captured a lot of it. I feel like 8th grade is one of the movies that really, really stood out to me as finally capturing the voice of, like, sort of my generation, but also younger, saying, like, sort of pointing a finger at how important social media is and how technology sort of, like, infected and taken over these kids lives and how they need to adapt to it and how constantly being compared to the peers through this idea of the best version of them possible is really great burnham's fantastic in his first directorial effort and i i'm excited to see more from everyone in this cast all right so we'll go to your 10 which is the spectacular now um i like this movie i don't love it i think it's very well done i think Teller and Shailene Woodley are both giving fantastic performances. Uh, some of us were having a conversation the other day about if Miles Teller has ever played a likable character, and the answer I gave to that was, he almost always plays objectively terrible people, but you can't help but want the best for him, to a degree. Like, he's just... Like, he's a person who's struggling. I think that... Like, I understand why this is on the list. It wouldn't have been on mine, but I get the choice. I think it's a good choice. Uh, and then 8th grade... Okay, I was going to wait for the banner to change, but 8th grade. Uh, the first time I saw this movie, I actually didn't like it very much. 
the first time I saw it, I didn't love it. I just didn't relate to it as much as I thought I would. And then I went into it again, looking at it not through the lens of this is supposed to be one for one my experience, which is basically what I was told it would be. And then when I went th and when I saw it again, I thought it was a lot better. I think Elsie Fisher's fantastic. I think Bo Burns' script is amazing. Uh, that pool scene is great. It's not the best pool scene on uh, in a movie that will show up on this list, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we'll move on to Mr. Brooklyn Vale. You're starting good, Scott. Um, all right, so uh, by number 10, uh, we're going with Big. All right, uh, my number nine is Superbad. And my number eight is School of Rock. All right, cool. Uh, so Big is a movie that I watched for this list, um, and I wanted to particularly talk about uh, Tom Hanks' performance as well as uh, just Penny Marshall, I guess, as, as a director. I loved her, per not necessarily her, her perspective, but her emphasis on not necessarily leaning on just coming of age. Like, like for example, whenever Tom Hanks is first in, like, put in the movie, you definitely get the sense of like the mother like being like actually actually scared and just like the like little attention to, attention to detail, um and then and then like with Tom Hanks as well like you see him thinking through every single scene, like as a thirteen year old like even him like not necessarily making eye contact or like just like the facial expressions, um number yeah number nine super bad just like another. I've talked about this movie before a couple, a couple different times, but it's just like losers on a losers going on a trip, and then like things things go wrong. Um, I relate a lot to these to these characters, just like trying to fit in, and then whenever you try to fit in, like you try to then you end up like just joking on yourself um, as a way to sort of sort of fit in. Um, and then School of Rock is just Jack Black uh, making people uncomfortable um, so that they can feel better about themselves. Um, he just kind of he just kind of like kind of pokes at them and like in the best way possible um and then he gets to also like build them through build them through like rock rock appreciation i guess in a way um because you see that these kids have all this music music talent but they're sort of they're forced through this bottleneck um through their through their, through their upbringing which isn't a fault uh, of their own but yeah uh all right we'll start with number 10 big uh i really enjoy this movie i saw it for the first time last year i don't know how i feel about it being considered i almost would consider it an inverse of the coming of age movie because to me the idea of a coming of age movie is very much like growing up and maturing and becoming that like mature adult person and big is the opposite of that it is about someone who desperately wants to be an adult desperately wants to be mature and when they have that they it's about him learning to be okay with being a kid so i think it's uh, I like I understand why it's on the list. I don't know if I would consider it coming of age, but I can see how you would. Uh, I still like the pick; it's decent. Uh, number nine was super bad, I believe. Yeah. Super bad. Yeah. Uh, the joke's been made before. The joke will be made again. The main three characters in this movie are me, Caleb Coho, and Caleb Bowman. Uh, the dynamic there is just insane. Uh, I think it's very funny. I think it's very fun. Uh, I, I like the performances. I think uh, Bill Hader and Seth Rogen are freaking incredible in this movie uh, as the two cops. Uh, yeah, I, I like this pick. It's fun. And then number eight was School of Rock, I think. Yeah, yeah School of Rock. Um, this is another one where when you put this on the list, I was like, hmm, I don't know. Well, because the thing is, I see this movie, and when you say come of age, my first instinct is I go to the kids and I'm like, 
I don't really see the kids doing like a ton of growing and maturing. They're just kids and they learn how to play music. And it's like, yeah, they get more comfortable with each other. But like you do kind of see Jack Black mature. You kind of see him start to accept reality more and become a more like down to earth functional human being. But at the same time, he still kind of stays ridiculous and faces no consequences for the very illegal actions that he takes. Uh, I really like the movie. I don't know how it fits into this topic. So we'll see how that affects things later. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess is, is that over to me, I guess, next? Um, so my number 10 is Better Luck Tomorrow. My number nine is Minding the Gap. And my number eight is Only Yesterday. So Better Luck Tomorrow. Um, I'll be honest, I don't think I can name a single other movie with Asian-American teens in it. That makes it a really big thing for me personally. This is Justin Lin's early movie before he did Fast and Furious. For the Fast and Furious fans, Sung Kang plays a character named Han, technically kind of in the same universe, fun fact. But it's basically a bunch of overachieving high school kids um, get into a bunch of criminal shenanigans, honestly out of boredom. And I think it's interesting how, like, that is a lot how a lot of people come, come of age. You know, they're forced into these high-tension situations. And, you know, it's a world that it feels familiar to me, and I think it's really entertaining and interesting. Uh, my number nine is Mining the Gap. Um, it's a documentary, right, which I was, I was kind of going out of my way to try and pick stuff a little unconventional. Um, it's, this is a fucking incredible movie. It's one of my favorite documentaries ever. Um, I'd encourage anyone in the US, it's on Hulu, watch it as soon as you can. Um, it's this moving portrait of these different men coming of age for different reasons and, and together and apart. And um, it's a lot more than just a coming of age story, but it is, I think, pretty centrally a coming of age story and it's beautiful and emotional and um, yeah, just an amazing movie. Um, my number eight is Only Yesterday. This is a Studio Ghibli movie about a young girl named Taiko. Um, she's in her mid-20s, and as she takes this train, she begins to have flashbacks and relive moments of her youth. Um, and it's so much about her realizing what her dreams were, how those changed. And it's this beautiful poem to somebody's life and their history and how the things they go through change them as people along the way. Um, the you know Daisy Ridley plays her in the dub, which is kind of you know exciting, I guess, for Star Wars fans. But um, yeah, just a really moving, beautiful movie. That's it's got a lot of patience and, and gentleness, and it's crazy that Takahata went from making Grave of the Fireflies to making something like this, which is so um, you know a lot lighter and a lot more kind of life affirming. And it's one of my favorites that I discovered last year, um, and I love it. Uh, all right, uh, your ten. Better luck tomorrow. Uh, I did not see this. I focused on movies that were higher on people's lists, and this was one of the few that I did not manage to get around to. But it sounds interesting. I will add it to my watch list. Uh, number nine, Mining the Gap. Uh, I'm familiar with this. Uh, I have also not seen this because uh, Hulu is not in Canada, so uh, it was not easy for me to gain access to, although I can kind of get access to whatever I want because of very relaxed Canadian laws. Uh, but... Uh, I've heard very good things about this. Uh, I don't know how I feel about a documentary being on this list because, like, again, I get it, and I get that it's about this journey, but also it it's exactly real people's journeys just being chronicled. So I don't know how to feel. But anyways, uh, and you're number eight, only yesterday. Uh, I really like Studio Ghibli. Th this ain't one of the ones I really like, though. This was... Uh, I I didn't totally enjoy it. I think that there's a lot of points where it gets very repetitive and very uninteresting. Like they keep hammering home the whole pineapple thing and I just can't deal with it. I find it so 
bored when they're like, hey, look, a pineapple. And they're all really excited and they eat a pineapple and pineapple's overrated or something. And it's very <laughs> eh to me. Like, like a lot of the movie seems just like filler and fluff. And like, I get that that's a lot of what human life is, but you could have made things more interesting. I will say, Paul, uh, you're safe because A, this is in your bottom three and B, there are worse things yet to come. My list is in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a yeah. yeah. Um, my number 10 is The Diary of a Teenage Girl. My nine is Itamama Tambien. And thank you. <laughs> my, and my eight is eighth grade. So, The Diary of a Teenage Girl is, I believe, Marielle Heller's first film. Uh, it's about a girl who ends up developing sexual maturity as she falls for her uh, mother's boyfriend, and how basically that toxic relationship sort of defines her interactions with, with other human beings and how and it changes her actions throughout basically her whole youth life. And uh, Heller also does a thing where she contrasts um, the girl, her name is Minnie, Contrasting Minnie's journey with also the drawing she does because she wants to be a comic book artist. And there's just this beautiful understanding of just what sex and sexuality can mean to kids, especially when they have that pressure on them. As well as Belle Pally is fantastic. Uh, the mom's boyfriend is Alexander Skarsgård and the way that he, slight, like he, he gaslights and manipulates her without her mom knowing. I think it's a really haunting and educating, but also like a really beautiful film when you see her view of the world. It's, it's something I, I always recommend to people when I want to see like, here's like an obscure-ish 2010s movie. I think it's great. Uh, it's, it's an amazing film. Uh, for those who don't know what it's about, it's about uh, two friends. Uh, one, of the, one of their cousins is like, let's do a road trip. It's about these two boys and their female cousins sort of going across Mexico and then both sort of de developing feelings for her. But overall, it's about them, again, coming to terms with their sexuality and how this pressure and this emphasis on being with a woman and sort of like making her their own makes them, how do I phrase this? It's just a really wonderful insight into just, into just teenage ideas of masculinity and how that can sort of define their maturity. A lot of this list is going to be defining their adult life. I think it defines their maturity and how they view every single relationship they have going forward and the end of the film I think is absolutely amazing. Uh, and then your eight was eighth grade. So yeah, uh, number 10, Diary of a Teenage Girl. I have this open in a different tab on my computer. I was going to watch it after filming a match earlier today, but then the match ran much longer than we expected, so I didn't have enough time to watch the whole thing. So I didn't watch it. Uh, I might get to it at some point. And Itu Mama Tambien, uh, I also unfortunately did not have the time to see this. I focused on things that were higher on people's lists and the stuff that I had easier access to. Uh, I've heard it's good, but... Uh, so now things get interesting because other people are allowed to talk and respond. So we go back to Scott. What's your number seven? Okay. Uh, my number seven is 20th Century Women. Same range. So then we talk about it now. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, this movie is incredible. It's, um, it's kind of a like period piece set in the late seventies, uh, directed by Mike Mills in California. Um, and it's about this teenage uh, boy who 
basically lives in this boarding house with his mom, who's in that Benning, with uh, this sort of hippie punk rock aesthetic type uh, woman played by Greta Gerwig. Uh, and then also like sort of the third women, woman in the title is uh, Elle Fanning, who is the girl that he has a crush on, but of course does not reciprocate his feelings and is off doing things with other, um, you know, older boys and, and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's just a really uh, unique film about the different lessons that this boy learns from three different generations of women um, and, you know, the, the way that he is able to see their different perspectives on life, like, you know, Annette Bening offers sort of motherly advice and all of that. Then Greta Gerwig, he's out going to like nightclubs with her and listening to, um, you know, the, this punk music and stuff that is really like of the era. Um, and then Elle Fanning teaches him a lot about like sexuality and, um, you know, just coming of age in that regard. Um, and I just think the script for this movie is, is so well-written. Um, I believe it did get an Oscar nomination, um, in the year that it, it came out. And, um, there's just a lot of quotable lines, like very profound one-liners that stick out to me from this movie. Also, there's a scene at a dinner table involving Greta Gerwig that, uh, no one, who's seen the movie will ever forget probably because of the dialogue in that scene. But this is, this one's kind of underrated. Um, I think it's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I do think this is one that the community should check out. Cause I, you know, this is not one of the ones that I would point to and be like, Oh, this is for a very specific type of movie goer or whatever. I think everybody can get something from this one. Yeah. So this is my number five. I absolutely love this movie. Um, just real quick, I want to shout out the Roger Neal score, which is incredible. Uh, and I listen to that all the time. Um, this is on Netflix, at least in America. So like, if you guys have Netflix, like watch it. It's a terrific movie and that Benning's amazing. There's a specific moment where something that it just gives me chills even thinking about it. And it sounds simple, but she talked to Greta Gerwig about how she as a mother will never really see her, her son living out in the world. And I found that yeah. so profound because when you think about it, your parents are never really going to see you out being yourself um, the way you're sort of going through life and all your trials and tribulations. Um, and I found that sentiment among many others here just so profound. And I think like, Annette, again, Annette Bening is absolutely astonishing in this thing. I think Elle Fanning's amazing. Greta Gerwig, I love in basically everything, but it's like the perfect Greta Gerwig role, I think too. It's like so her. Um, and the movie looks great too. Like there are scenes where they're driving where it does this kind of psychedelic color effects that I think are, are really striking and, it's just a wonderful, very considered movie. Mike Mills' movies are all very thoughtful and I think carefully made and um, made with such an honest heart and still really smart. Um, but it's just, it's a movie that will, will move you. Um, you know, it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry. It's got a bunch of different levels in there. And I just think it's a movie that I, I would love for more people to discover because it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I had not seen this before these lists uh, were given to me. Uh, and then I saw it was on two people's lists, so I watched it. Uh, this movie is fantastic. Uh, the score is beautiful, like truly amazing. Even if you don't watch the movie, which you should listen to this score, cause that should convince you to watch the movie. Honestly, uh, it took me way too long to even notice that that was Greta Gerwig to be completely honest. Cause like she just disappeared into that role for me. I was like, she looked so different than what I'm used to like her with the short red hair, uh, I think the dynamic between all of the characters is really, really interesting. Uh, the The dinner table conversation is brilliant, and I love it. Uh, I think my personal favorite thing is when uh, Greta Gerwig's character is, and uh, the 
Jamie. Jamie are listening to the punk music, and the mom comes in and it's like, what's this? And they like tell her what it is, and she's like, isn't music supposed to be pretty? And they're like, yeah. well, that's the thing. Like They're reclaiming the idea of music, and it's like just these such real conversations with these real developed characters that I really like. Uh, yeah, this was one of my favorite first-time watches that I had for this list. Uh, this is a great pick. Oh, real quick, I just want to say also, the thing that the kids do where they make each other pass out, kids still do that. Kids still that, did that <laughs> in my high school. That permeates to this day, so that, you know, the past echoes into the, into the future. Uh, Spence in Brooklyn, have you seen this? And if you have, why isn't it on your list? Uh, I have not seen it, but you guys are saying many, many things that I that I generally appeal to. Uh, so I will probably check this out uh, tomorrow. That's it. I have seen this uh, for some reason. It just didn't make an impact on me. Like I'm, I like while you guys are trying to pull the Wikipedia, look at the plot. I don't really remember anything from this. It probably just hit me on the wrong day. I might revisit it eventually, but it's just like an eh. This is not a very plot-heavy genre. I'll just say that. If you're yeah. coming to oh. any of these movies for like, we'll get to it later. Like, Slice of Life is not my shit, and that might have been why it hit me wrong. See, it's interesting because Slice of Life usually isn't mine, but this really worked for me. I don't know why. But anyways, we'll move on. Scott, what's your six? Uh, my six is I'll I'll just spoil it. The only '80s movie you're going to see coming up on this list. Uh, say anything. Uh, yeah, so this is Cameron Crowe, who is a director that either makes some of my favorite movies of all time or just makes absolutely, completely ill-considered films that um, are best just completely forgotten about immediately after watching them. Um, but this is not one of those. This is, I think, uh, a wonderful coming-of-age romance. I think Lloyd Dobler, which is John Cusack's character in this movie, is uh, one of my favorite movie characters of all time. He's just got the right amount of weirdness and quirkiness to him to where he still seems real. Um, and he's like not annoying, but like the thing about him is he's got such a huge heart and you just see that in, in everything that he does and the way that he treats Diane, who's Ioni Sky, um, in this movie. Uh, I just think it's a, it's an unorthodox relationship, her being like who you would think of as like the popular prom queen, whatever, but is actually, you know, pretty quite, quite, quiet and shy um and then you know him being this sort of loose cannon a little bit i just think their relationship works really well plus this movie has a really interesting subplot about uh diane's father played by john mahoney basically cameron crow came up with the concept for this movie after he saw um a father and daughter walking down the street and was just like now what if the father was a criminal um and that was sort of how uh, he conceived of this movie so you see it wasn't didn't necessarily start out as a teen romance and i think that speaks to the depth which which the subplot um about her father is is rendered and also i love the scenes between john cusack and uh john mahoney as the father i think just the they're they're not connecting on the same level um and it, it allows for some great comedy and yeah, look, it's got one of the most famous scenes in a coming-of-age movie, and it's one of those that, no, you know, no matter how much it gets memed or whatever, it still lives up to the hype, I think, when you watch the movie. The boombox um, is is incredibly iconic, and I love it, and I love this movie. Uh, yeah, I saw this for the first time at the end of last year. A couple of us did a Secret Santa where we gave each other movies to watch, and this is one of the movies I was given. Uh, and I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's really good. Uh, I love John Cusack in this. I think he's just such a he's just such a strange character, but he's also 
absolutely like real and realistic where you're like that is a person that you could easily know uh and you can clearly see sort of his journey where he goes from like like he's someone who's so comfortable not like aiming for the highest of highs where it's like he's surrounded by these people who are like going to university they're going to like get these careers he's like that's not what i want he's like I want to, I want to do this yeah. weird, obscure kickboxing sport, and I want to be a bouncer at a bar. And it's like, yeah, you like if that's your aspirations, go for it. Uh, I think the romance is great. I think uh, that song is fantastic, and that scene is great. Uh, the one thing that I don't love about this movie actually is the subplot with the dad. I think it just kind of detracts from his personal story. Uh, I still think this is a really good movie, though. Uh, everyone else. In a truly shocking oh, nice. development, I uh, feel opposite to Cameron Holtzman. Uh, I love the stuff with the dad more than anything else in this movie. I think the John Mahoney performance and the way that he connects with his daughter and the way they connect and disconnect, I think that stuff is the most profound and moving. The tough thing of this genre is I think the, di the difference between the stuff that's really good and the stuff that really is special to you, it's hard to talk about. It's very intangible and it's so personal. And for me, I just never connected with Lloyd as a character. So I think that as much as like I like the movie and I think the romance is like they have good chemistry, like for whatever reason, it just never reached that level of like me being fully invested in Lloyd as a character. Um, I don't know. I guess he, I do think of him as a little ridiculous in a way that I don't connect to as much. So I don't know. Just not, not totally my thing. I haven't seen it. No, nor have I. Wow. All right. Uh, Scott, you're five. Okay, I'm hoping that I'm getting yikes on this one, but uh, my five is, let's go back to Gerwig Town, Lady Bird. Same range again. Oh, gosh, okay. Um, yeah, look, this movie, I think, is considered a modern classic for a reason. Uh, it has a specificity about it um, that, you know, just makes it feel so authentic and makes you feel like you know the characters so much better than in your average coming-of-age movie. Like, I just love the little scenes that maybe don't matter so much to the overarching plot, but are in there for a reason uh, to create sort of the dynamic between this family. Like I love the scene where they're just opening their Christmas presents and the dad gets the golf pillow and the mom just kind of laughs way too hard about it. And it's just like, you can, you know, you've, you, we've all been there, it seems like, or even if you haven't, you can feel like the authenticity in it. Um, and so the little scenes like that, but also just, um, you know, everything that uh, Saoirse Ronan as um, Lady Bird uh, goes through, um, I, I think, uh, again, has an authenticity about it. You can tell it was inspired by, you know, Greta Gerwig's own life and um, the relationships that she has first with Timothy Chalamet or first with Lucas Hedges. Um, the one of the one of my favorite cuts in a movie is when she walks in the bathroom and finds him with another guy and then just hard cut to them in the car listening to the Dave Matthews song. I think it's just so funny. Um, there's a lot of really funny moments in the movie. Like for some reason, I love the scene where the nun is reading out the prom themes and she's just like, the themes we have are eternal flames, cities of the world and movies. It's something about just the way that she delivers the line that is hilarious. Um, but it's also a very emotional film. Like every, you know, the the stuff with the mom at the end is obviously very good. Um, I love the scene with Tracy Letts where he goes to interview for the job and his son walks in and the way he just like adjusts his tie and says, go get him. I think it's just such a, a quiet um, but powerful moment. Um, 
And then, yeah, I just love the ending, the the decision, like that Lady Bird, you know, she all the whole movie, she wants to get out of Sacramento and leave this behind her. And then as soon as she does, she realizes like the things that she's left behind and how much the environment that she came from made her the person that she is. Um, and that speaks to me as somebody, you know, who went away from home from college and stuff like that. So uh, Lady Bird is what can I say? It's it's perfect. And it's uh, Greta Gerwig at the height of her powers. This is my number four. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie I've talked about on the show a bunch of times. Um, it's a movie that echoes my real life in a lot of ways. Laurie Metcalf literally like looks like my mom and has a similar job to my mom and talks like my mom. So like all of that hits very personally, I think, for me. Um, the opening scene, I think, is one of the best opening scenes in a long time because it establishes their character dynamic so well because you can tell immediately that Lady Bird is so aspirational and her mom is so realistic and grounded when like they're, the countering of their, their, argue, their arguments in the beginning is so like, Oh, I want to be this. Well, actually, you're this. I want to do this. Well, actually, this is the reality. And it's like those two clashing interests, I think, are so realistic and and moving. And I think, again, like so many of the ideas about, again, her being this kid who wants to move far away from home and then, you know, not realizing what home really meant to her, her friendship with Jules, um, Tracy Letts, again, super underrated in this movie, incredible. Um, I will never let the Academy live this down for, you know, making Alice and Janney win the Oscar instead of Laurie Metcalf. That's such a, a crying shame, I think. Um, but the thing that makes coming of age movies special is specificity. And this movie has specificity of character, of place, of time. Um, and I think all of that stuff is what makes this really like hit home in, a, in such an effective way and why I love it so much. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. It will be for, you know, as long as I live, probably. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing movie. Uh, yeah, I think this movie is fine. Uh, I think there's some parts that are mm. really good. Uh, I think this movie does a really good cap job capturing how truly frustrating it is to go to a religious high school uh, and just the way that they completely screw up your education in the name of religion because I went to a very conservative Christian high school where they fully edited the curriculum and just straight up did not teach us things they were supposed to because they didn't feel like it. Uh, and I think a lot of that is really great. I think the relationship dynamic between her and her mom is fantastic. Uh, I hate Timothy Chalamet in this movie. I'm like, He's I get so that I'm kind funny. of supposed to. He is so to. funny, though. That's, oh, God. I just, I, I find him so unlikable, especially, like, after seeing Call Me By Your Name earlier that year and, like, really enjoy like really liking him and then just seeing that afterwards and being like i want to punch this kid in the face on site it's like i just i also think it doesn't help that this movie takes place before i have much memory of anything happening so i don't really know i don't know what it's like to grow up in america in 2002 but for me, I How think old do you think we are? Be, uh, <laughs> older than me, and that's all that matters. If you're older than me, then you're old. Uh, so, but no, I think this is fine. I get why it's on people's lists, but it would not be on mine. Uh, and based on where it's on people's lists, we get the lovely treat of it being on the final list. Uh, Scott, what's your uh, sorry, Bryan. not Scott, uh, John Bryan, uh, Spence in Brooklyn. Why? Uh, so there was I so whenever I was making my list, there was six movies that I was like, I need to see these um if if at all possible. And I only got to about three of them, but this was like the this would have been like the next one or the one after that I would have tried to get to. Yeah. Wow. The, the first the first time I saw it, I was like, This is whatever. I saw it again late last year. It's like it's good. For me, it works best as like an assembly of moments rather than a whole film. 
Like, I think uh, when Lucas Hedges comes out to her or the first time that her and Timothy Chalamet have sex, or like when she goes to the party and like she reclaims her Sacramento, like part of her, like, I think there's a lot of good scenes in the movie. Just overall, I have a hard time really connecting with all of it. That being said, I get why people like it, just not entirely up my alley. All right. Uh, and I believe we stick with Scott for your four. Other things can be sad. It's not just war. Um, okay, my number four is The Florida Project. <laughs> On brand. Yeah, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, this is uh, an incredibly evocative portrait of this underrepresented community of people in basically living on the edge of making it, right? They're literally on the edge of the happiest place on earth, Disney World, living in these rundown, decrepit motels. And it just captures their life, right? It doesn't come into the movie really with any agenda, uh, Sean Baker being the director. It is just, uh, you know, depicting a season of life in uh, the lives of these characters. And it is filled with like the little moments of joy that they're able to find in their lives. Like when they go get ice cream cones, right? And it's framing everything through the eyes of this kid played by Brooklyn Prince. Um, and that's what I think, that's why I think you're able to see the emotions so more much more clearly than you normally would because I think, you know, a child's perspective is, you know, sim more simplistic, I guess, in a way that I think really suits the movie. Um, but there's these little moments of joy uh, that they capture, but then there's also, of course, the the extreme hardships and what the mom, Haley, played by Brie Venate, is going through and um, just having to make ends meet, right? She's, she's trying um, her best to do what is best for her and her daughter, but that often involves doing things that you know, win her the judgment of society. I'll never forget when I saw this movie in theaters and walking out and hearing a woman in the lobby saying that, oh, if the mom wasn't so awful, then they wouldn't have ended up in this situation. And like, I'm just like, you just totally missed the point of the movie. Um, but yeah, I think this movie is incredible. Of course, uh, Willem Dafoe it was Oscar nominated and you know, he is, as the, as the saying goes, he's Willem to friend in this movie, the scene where he talks to the, what is it like the, uh, bird outside of the, the motel is just random and hilarious. Uh, and I know what Cameron's going to say, because I saw his letterbox review. Uh, I think the ending, I agree with you that the first time I saw it, it, I, it did not work for me. That was the one thing holding me back from the movie. But the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it. I think that, um, you know, the shaky cam and all of that, first of all, they had to do it because they, you can't film inside Disney World. Um, so they had to use an iPhone for that. Uh, but second of all, uh, it just shows the differentiation between the world that they came from and the, this world that is literally right there that they can run to when they want to. Um, but, you know, again, there's it feels like after the movie you watch that there's just this chasm of, you know, economic factors and everything that is keeping them from getting from point A to point B. And so I like the differentiation there to say, oh, this is like almost a, basically a whole new world. But The Florida Project is amazing. Again, like I said, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, yeah, this was another one that I watched for the first time uh, because someone put it on their list. Uh, and yeah, I think this movie's fine. Uh, Scott went for one of the first things that I'm going to go after. The ending, like, I understand why the footage has to look bad, but it doesn't make it better for me. It still is just frustrating because you have, because the rest of this movie is like, really well shot like i think it's beautifully filmed and then the end 
is just frustrating. And especially because like they start the shaky cam long before they get into Disneyland or Disney World. Like it just all of a sudden goes from these beautiful still long shots and stuff to and it's really distracting. Uh, and to me, like took away from the power that the ending could have had to a degree. Uh, I think Brooklyn Prince is fantastic in this movie. She is so charming. Uh, the scene where the couple is in the lobby and they realize that they're at the Magic Castle when they were supposed to book for the Magic Kingdom, I think is like a really interesting scene. And the way she's like, I can always tell when adults are going to cry. Yeah, that um, line always gets me. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think my personal favorite scene in the movie is the one where all of the kids are hanging out outside and this strange man just shows up and Willem Dafoe is like, yes. there's something wrong with this guy. And it's just like the most tense, uncomfortable conversation like ever. Because you can tell Willem Dafoe does not trust this man. And it becomes very clear why Willem Dafoe does not trust this man and what he thinks is going on here. And just it slowly boils over, and Willem Dafoe like is ready to beat the shit out of this dude in the parking lot in front of all of these kids. Uh, but overall, I think again, this is another very much slice of life thing, and that's not what always totally works for me. Uh, so yeah, I thank you for having me watch this, but it would not come close to making my list. Not enough zombies. Uh, the other three. It's a great movie. It's a great movie, Scott. Good pick. It, it wouldn't make my personal list because there's a couple things just like occasionally holding it back. But full respect to you, the person that you mentioned that I want to focus on is Bria Vanate. I think she is fucking slept on in this movie. She is amazing. Like seeing seeing the shit, the shit that she has to go through and still holding the weight of knowing how much that hurts her daughter and especially when that scene happens where they lose each other for a bit. It's it hurts so much, even though how, even though how many shitty things she's done, you know that she has like that's to her that's what she has to do, and she plays it perfectly. Okay, I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I I I mean I hate to be harsh. I feel like if you don't like the ending, you kind of don't get the point of like the, that's the that is the movie. Like I would be willing to bet that when Sean Baker came up with this idea the final moment was the moment that like this movie all kind of evolved from. And to me, like it is the perfect cap on like what this story is part and parcel to like from A to B to Z, like all of the stuff leads up to that moment. And it's like such a catharsis and it's like, it's like a fake escape, you know? Cause you know, like this feels per like, this feels like they can be here forever, but you know, it's impermanent. And like that reminder of like, again, what's so close, but it's just out of reach. It's a, a movie, a lot about access people that have access to these lives, to these places, um, and people that don't. And like, that's when you see when that couple comes in, they're clearly, they have money, and the woman is talking, you know, talking shit about these people that live these kind of lives, and you just feel that disconnect. I love the sort of anti-casting of Willem Dafoe and Caleb Landry Jones, who are both generally like pretty grimy and sleazy people, but like, they're just made to be friendly and open and honest, and I think that works really well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Sean Baker is a really, really exciting filmmaker, and like, this is definitely my favorite movie of his. And um, I don't know. It's just something that I, I watched this today because I know who Scott Harvey is and I'm not an idiot. So I figured it would be on the <laughs> list. But um, yeah, it, it's one that I think I underrated a bit at the time. And over time, I think it's only it only gets better and better. Um, and it's just it's yeah, it's really life affirming. And like it's tough. It's a tough watch. But at the same time, like 
I think it, it connects you with humanity in a way that I think you know other movies struggle to. All right. Uh, so now we're going to go to someone who probably has a lot less A twenty four adjacent or uh, a Mr. <laughs> hey. Brooklyn Vale. Uh, Brooklyn, what's your seven? All right. So my number seven uh, is Mean Girls. Uh, so so no, no one's dicing Mean Girls. It's my Same. number eleven. I no. swear. No, this is coming of age movies. So no. Yay! Semantic arguments on YLS. Um, yeah. So <laughs> me. So Mean Girls. I love the. I love the social aspect of it, where it's like you have Lindsay Lohan, where it's like her as her from a family uh, in Africa, where like she doesn't really didn't really have any like f- like friends, but then like when she goes into the high school, where it's like oh, I can take all these take all these aspects from us, and it's like they're they're accurate, like like that's that cafeteria as- aspect is is very much very much a jungle like you, you can you can all those all the things that happen in the movie are hyperbolic i guess of like things that are very 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 much realistic i guess in, in a way um it's i love the way that the that, that some of the performances are, are are given especially um when you go into something like um like Amy Poehler, like something such a such a small role, because then you go from like Lindsay Lohan, who's such a who's kind of like the kind of like, like the straight and narrow, and then like Rachel McAdams, who's this kind of like this this bitch or whatever, and then you realize that Rachel McAdams is a bitch because her mom just doesn't give two flying fucks, and the sad reality sad reality is, is that like like that's like that's a that's a thing, um, and it's just yeah, I like how you get all the all the different aspects of Friends, and um, you know you get. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's. I know this movie's been talked about death before, but it's. Yeah, I, it's one that I've always kind of kept like since high school, and I always go back to, and it's a fun time. Uh, yeah, no one else had this. Um, I love this movie. This movie was in my top hundred. Uh, I think it was just teetering around my fifty. Uh, this was the last movie that I saw in theaters before the first time everything shut down uh, because of COVID. I went for my friend's birthday. Uh, because they did a, like, quote, a long screening at the local theater. Uh, I think this movie is fantastic. Uh, I love Rachel McAdams in this movie. She's the perfect, just absolute bitch. Uh, Lindsay Lohan is legitimately incredibly charming in this movie, which is hard to do when you're played by Lindsay Lohan. Uh, I think that uh, Amanda Seyfried and... um, uh, Lacey Chabert are two great side characters. Uh, the dynamic between Janice and Damien is my favorite part of this movie. They are my favorite characters, maybe just because their personalities are very similar to me and my best friend. Uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, I I understand and will predict exactly what uh, Paul is going to say which is that he thinks this is more of a teen movie and less of a coming-of-age movie because there's maybe not so much growth. Uh, but I I think there is a lot of growth with Katie because she goes, like, like, she starts as this very humble person and then becomes this monster and then is able to realize that's not really what I'm supposed to be. And you see all the other characters go through their own small journeys uh, yeah, this movie's hilarious, endlessly quotable. Kevin G, iconic. The three of you, why are you wrong? Um, I'll go. I love Mean Girls. I watch it every October 3rd, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I just didn't think of it in the, the coming of age 
range because I guess I think more about dramas uh, when I'm thinking about coming of age movies. I don't know. It's just my perspective on them, I guess, because I also didn't think about Clueless, which I think I like even better than Mean Girls, um, but it's not on my list. But um, I love this movie. Yeah, it's it's very quotable for a reason. This is just one of those movies for people from our generation. And I'm glad that it clicked with me as much as it does for everyone else, because sometimes I feel like I miss the boat on some of those. Um, but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm not saying this doesn't count as like this is a coming of age movie. But for me, like, I know this might surprise people. I love a lot of movies, especially in this subgenre, and you have to cut it down somehow. And like to me, what I thought of when I thought of this list is like the stuff that's most about the coming of the, the stuff where the coming of age is the stuff I like the most in the movie, really, which is why I chose what I chose. Um, you know, like Scott, I watch it every October 3rd. Uh, Cody can probably tell you, like me and him, we'll quote this movie back and forth to each other and stuff. Like, I love it. And it's a movie I watch a lot. And I, I like, it's just like that coming of age stuff is just like, so not what I like about the movie. Um, Lizzie Kaplan's amazing in this movie, which, which you kind of mentioned, but yeah, I mean, just not something that I think is, is so, is about that. And that's like, not what I value it for. I'm basically a mix of Scott and Paul at this point. It's like, I love the movie, and also I think it's sort of like weird as a coming-of-age pick. I think there's other movies I would go to before it. I, I love this movie. I don't watch it every, like, every year like other people, but just... It's one so of... I would say 10 other movies. And what do you do on October 3rd, Spence? Cry. Uh, I just have, I have a really good time with this movie. I just didn't pick it. Not a bad pick. Very good pick. Just not my pick. Uh... We'll go to Brooklyn for his seven or his all six. Right. That was your seven. That was my seven. Yeah. <laughs> talk about it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to um, keep talking right. about Mean Girls all night because it's the correct pick. Uh, oh, what's your six, Brooklyn? All right. Uh, my number six is my only 80s. Uh, or no, actually, no. Uh, Breakfast Club is uh, my number six. Come on, Kirk. Come on, Kirk. So, Nobody else has the Breakfast Club? You know this. You're the host. Doesn't matter. I have to react <laughs> to the audience. Okay. Cole, put the graphic up. What? Who is putting us on trouble? Okay. Oh, find me guilty. Okay. Oh, sorry, Cam. <laughs> we have uh, a lawyer present. Check yourself. All right. um, so, yeah, this is essentially hey, six kids that are not really from the same perspective. Get along. Um, that, that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. But what I love about this is that is it's essentially. It's a way to talk about uh, a problem that that is that is relevant even still today, where it's like kids, especially in high school, they are very much a, a mirror of like of, of their upbringing, or whether whether it's like their like their parents or their guardians, but they definitely take those like preconceived notions of of other people. When the movie is essentially just like, hey, if you just like talk to somebody and figure out their perspective, and then not have not have the bias, not have not have that bias, and then maybe you can actually like. Find some, find some like common ground, and, and find a find a way to to, to build to build and grow. It's it's again that sort of forced forced perspective, um, and it's the, just the finding finding the way, finding ways to, to work. Um, but yeah, uh, this had to be on here because this is actually the first movie uh, that's you and I watched together. So yeah. All right. I love this movie. This movie is great. This movie is also in my top 100. Why are you reacting like this, Paul? I don't. I don't remember it being in your top 100. Sorry, go ahead. Well, maybe you should have watched the show more, given us those views, like and subscribe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I I love this movie. I think this movie 
is one of the first and one of the main ones I can remember that sort of deals with the idea of like people from completely different cliques with completely different interests getting along. Like a lot of coming of age and a lot of teen movies, especially ones that are set in high school, are very much about like we've got the jocks, we've got the like the mean girls, we've got the nerds, and they sort of focus on only one of those groups. And I like the way that this movie takes just one person from five completely different social areas and social standings who all vaguely know each other and puts them in this situation that none of them really are used to except for the one and just seeing how they all interact over the course of this uh i'll admit at times it gets ridiculous like the dance scene is kind of weird i like the makeover but i think just Overall, the heart of this movie is fantastic. I love, uh, I love the principal. Uh, I love Principal Vernon because he's just such a like a smarmy villain in a way. Because like he's not technically wrong in anything he's doing, but also you still hate him because he's absolutely being a dick. Uh, but yeah, the other three of you. Hey, Cole, can hell? you put Michael's comment on there? Brooklyn, you can't drop the sentimental bomb on us at the end of your thing so we feel guilty. Absolutely <laughs> not. Look, if I'm on trial for not having the breakfast club, then call me Vin Diesel because you can find me guilty. I do not give a shit. This is a movie. Uh, this is, might sound bad. I, I love this movie when I was 12, and then I turned 13, and I was like, oh, there's more to movies than just this. Um, I just think, again, this is a movie of archetypes. It's admittedly not the worst Brat Pack movie of 1985. I guess that has it going for it, but um, I don't know. This is a movie where I, I will say Anthony Michael Hall rules in this movie. He is terrific. I think he's given a terrific performance. The rest of the kids, like, I don't know what they're doing. I'm obligated to like any actor named Paul, so I have to like Paul Gleason as the principal in this. But um, it's just a movie that is just so 80s and in, like, in sort of the worst ways. And... I don't know. It's just it's it's a movie of convention and stereotypes, and the makeover thing is like kind of the thing that puts it over the edge of like, man, I can't believe that that this was like, yeah, like this is a great idea. Let's let's give her this makeover. That's what makes her you know redeemable. Um, I'm on Team Kirk on this one. I do not like this movie at all. Um, I think that this movie, yeah, well, you know what, again, mark me down. Uh, it's not all about winning. Uh, I have a board but, where I'm giving you all strikes. <laughs> this is like around the horn on ESPN here. Um, but but no, I, uh, I don't like this movie. I don't think it's aged well like every other single John Hughes movie except for, uh, except for Christmas Vacation. Um, but I, uh, I don't like Judd Nelson at all in this movie. I, I hate his character. I hate the ending that we're supposed to just be like, yeah, he's pumping his fist across the football field. He's awesome. No, he's not. He sucks. And I hate that, um, that Ali Sheedy and uh, Emilio Estevez like get together in the end. That feels like such a weird direction for her character to take at the end. I, and I, yeah. That it's it's they're all types. They're not real people. I respect John Hughes in the sense that he paved the way for a lot of movies that I really love twenty years later. But the actual movies that he made are not really that good. Don't, don't ever talk shit about planes, trains, and automobiles in front of me ever again. Well, that doesn't count. That's not a team movie. <laughs> and Ferris Bueller. Oh yeah, that's that's fine. You can talk about Ferris Bueller anyway. Go ahead, Adelie. So. I have a weird hand cannon with this where like for, like for me there's a reason it works is because for me it's one of, one of my favorite examples of like modernizing sort of like it feels 
fairy tale isn't the right word, but just the idea of like here's such a great archetype and trope that you can build off of. Uh, in my high school, we we did we did a version of Breakfast Club with every character gay, obviously appealing to me, and it's like it's it's that idea of you you can do so much with the characters and the ideas. It has a lot to do with it. It can you can just change a lot of the material while still maintaining to the emotional core of the story. And I think that's amazing. I love the film. I saw the shit in theaters. It's great. It wasn't on my list because I wanted to put some more pretension. Well, you were around back then? Thing. Damn. Adelaide's yeah, time travel. <laughs> if Baldwin can do it, Spence can do it. Yeah, not really. Um, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things travel, I feel like that doesn't apply to. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... I think it's really good. I wanted to put some of the more pretentious shit there that people could have maybe not have heard of. So like, oh, I should go watch this. But Wrestle Club is in my top like 15, 20. Just couldn't make it today. Definitely top 15, 20 John Hughes movies of the 80s for me. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Brooklyn, what's your four? All right, here is... Wait, wait, are we skipping his five? Five. Sorry, yeah, my five. Was that not his five? I thought that no. was. No, Brooklyn, no, what's your five? Awesome. All right, so That's my five... Idea. My five is where I hopefully start winning people over. Yikes. Um, I was going to... Okay. Yeah. That's why I accidentally went to his four, because I knew okay. this was coming. What's your right. four, Brooklyn? Uh, so my four is Dazed and Confused. All right. Um, so yeah, this is like a... It's like a fly-in-the-wall movie. Um it's a it's an incredible soundtrack so it gets it gets me there right off of the gate um i think this is i think of the movies on my list this is probably like the most like ex accepting i guess just because of like have of all the friend groups and just like of how eclectic they are and just like how it's all how it's all intertwined and that like no one story is is, su is super important where it's just like everybody's just sort of where they are and then like every and like it, they're like nobody's nobody's seeking out to be like more like more popular or like or be this like different person it's a it's kind of just about like being happy with with who you are and just like living kind of like living the life um yeah uh i know a lot of people i know a lot of people dig it or dig it for for not having for not having a plot uh but sometimes you you need these as a as a way to just escape and that's uh, it. Yeah. brooklyn you uh -oh. nailed it in one sentence. Not one single character or story in this movie is important. None of them. I do not like this movie. I thoroughly unenjoy it. I find it incredibly uninteresting. Uh, I think like none of the characters really get enough time for me to who is saying never hosting again? I thought Cody also hated this movie, or is this Boatman? Oh, this is probably God, Boatman. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cody does not hate days, but, I feel like. Yeah. No way. Uh, but no, I thoroughly dislike this movie. I think none of the characters get enough time for me to really care about them or find them really, really interesting. Uh, I agree with the Kirk statement of you know you have a bad movie when Matthew McConaughey, the horrible person, is the most interesting character to me. I think just it's so it's so eh to me i just can't get into it i've watched it multiple times every time i've seen it i feel the exact same where i just don't care uh i know a lot of people disagree with me on this and that's fine but nah this this ain't it yeah i don't Paul, know where paul, paul's going Paul but, yeah um well look at scott <laughs> 
Yeah, Richard Linklater is my favorite director, as I think people know. I could have made half of this list with just his movies, uh, and this one would have been on there. Um, but I chose to, of course, go in a different direction with that, uh, so that my you know entire list wouldn't be Linklater movies. But I am not on Team Kirk for this movie. I love Days and Confused. Um, I think that uh, it is just a, a great capture of a specific place and time. Um, and you know, a, a single day, right? The last day of uh, the first day of summer, um, and I think it's it's evocative in that regard. And I think what Brooklyn is talking about too, with it being accepting, is is great because um, that is sort of the environment that Linklater fostered on set. If you read more about the making of this movie, right? It was just completely judgment free. He just let these kid teenagers be teenagers. He let these kids be kids. And um, I think the you know the results of that is what you see on screen that everything is just very organic because these kids know that they can be themselves and they're not going to be judged like they might be at home whatever um and you know it's a reason that some of the actors in this movie still when they talk about this movie to this day they get like very emotional and choked up about it because it was such a transformational experience in their life so yeah no to say about days and confused sorry i was just reading a book about one of the best movies of the 90s um <laughs> this movie rules. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Uh, again, the semantic thing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the reason I didn't have it on my list primarily is because I don't think of it. At, again, the coming of age stuff is not the reason I love this movie, which like, you know, it is what it is. I've also had it on the show a bunch of times, so I don't know if it's necessary to, you know, drill into it again. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think all the characters are interesting, personally, even the ones that are barely on screen. I think, you know, I don't know. I, I, I want to dance. That's all That's all I want. And uh, this movie kind of gives me that. I mean, I don't remember anything other than the fact that the most memorable characters a pedophile people are supposed to like, I guess. It's slice of life. Great way to cast great. aspersion and actually not deal with the movie on its own terms. Good. You're good, right, because I forgot everything about it the second I finished it. It's just unremarkable to me. I'll watch it again someday. I just don't, I don't look, I don't look forward to it. All right, well, let's move to the man who keeps throwing his hands up in the air and walking away to grab pop props. Paul, what's your seven? I did it once. That was Scott that did it the first time. Um, my number seven. I, went to the bathroom. I only was so bold because I knew that this would perhaps win me back. A little bit of curry, good favor. Uh, my number seven, short term 12. Um, yeah, so this is what gets really important to me. Um, the again, the director is a guy from Hawaii, and I think in that in that sense, I always want to support an artist like that. But to me, like, it's a movie about coming of age for two people, especially. It's not just Jaden; it's also about Grace coming of age, and so that's something that when I rewatched it last night, I was really clarified. It's like these two people that are on similar paths, and you think that one's further along, but then you realize maybe they're not. Um, it's a really heavy movie at times, but it's also, you know, it's got some levity as well. I think it's got an ending that's super life affirming, like, which is one of the best things about coming of age movies. Um, again, I think the cast is insane. That's been talked about a lot. I, I do think Rami Malek's like not the most interesting performance in this movie, not interesting in general, I feel like, but um, overall, I mean, I think Brie Larson is incredible. John Gallagher Jr. Super underrated in this movie. I think he doesn't really get talked about as much as the sort of buzzier people, but you know, the octopus and the shark story, like there's so many things about this movie that are, you know, it's it's like only like an hour and a half, but it packs all this emotion, and it's it's just like great from top to bottom. It's this uh, this journey that you go on with both of these people. Well, Paul, you were right in that this is going to win you back points in my eyes. Uh, I 
adore this movie. I watched it for the first time last year and immediately the moment I finished it the first time went, this is going to be one of my favorite movies. And then I watched it again less than a week after the first time I watched this because as much as this movie like hurts at some points, I just am so captivated by it. I think Brie Larson is giving a phenomenal performance. I think Caitlin Deaver should have been nominated for an Oscar for this role because she's truly incredible in this movie. Uh, the octopus and the shark is one of the greatest scenes of the 2010s, in my opinion. Like, it just is so devastating as it sort of reveals this thing that you know has been hiding under the surface. And finally, and then going back after you have seen the movie there's literally a scene earlier where the scene right before she has where she has her massive freak out and breakdown she's sitting there waiting for her dad to come pick her up and they're watching tv and the thing that sets her off isn't that her dad doesn't show up but you look at the tv and they're watching something about sharks and the moment i noticed that i was like that's such a small detail that adds so much to this movie i think that this is like this is a hard movie to watch this movie breaks me every time i see it but i cannot recommend but it leaves this you in a good place though it, do, it i don't think it leaves you yeah it, when it, if you're saying it breaks you it doesn't leave you sort of scattered on the ground it sort of puts the pieces back together in a way yeah the, I, in the middle of this movie there are there are two scenes specifically which are the shark and the rap which both of those are so emotional yeah. but at the end of the movie like it uplifts you the ending i think is actually really funny and charming with the kid running with the american flag like it's just insane but no i cannot recommend this movie enough uh, uh the rest of you what's I, uh, up i fucked up yep <laughs> I, I i looked at my list and like oh yep i got everything didn't uh, like if i uh if I remembered it, this would be like my five or six. I fucking love this movie. It is perfection. I rewatched it like a month or so ago. Still amazing. I was going to mention the rap and Caitlin Deaver to get points. Took it from me. Uh, I, I think this is... I, I, I think um, I think Cody mentioned it when it came up on the top 100. Like This, this is a movie I want to show my kids if I ever have them, family, anything. This is a movie I think just really makes an impact on people and sort of gives them a, a perspective on life. And, and it even goes in part with Marcus's song. It's like you don't know what a normal life is like. This is normal for some people and having to just understand the pain and the trauma that people have gone through to understand who they are and to care for them even through that. It's beautiful. It, I'm, I am mad at myself. And a few things more uplifting than the two stories John Gallagher Jr. tells. Those are both amazingly, <laughs> one's hilarious, one's sort of more heartwarming. And those are like great compliments to like the heaviness of the rest of the movie. Yeah, I love this movie as well. Um, I think the only mistake of this movie is trying to make us believe that someone would let Rami Malek around their children, which I would not. Um, but yeah, I was also going to I was also going to point to the the rap scene. I think Lakeith Stanfield uh, kills it in that scene, um, and I think Brie Larson for some reason. Um, you know, nowadays I think she's not as popular of an actress because people don't necessarily like of what she did with Captain Marvel. But I think this is, if she never does a good performance again, I will still say that she's a great actress because of what she did in this movie, which I think is the performance to me, which deserved the Oscar attention. So love short term toy. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I'm sorry. It's, if there's one movie from this list more than 
from anyone's lists more than any other that I will recommend, this is the one. Correct. Uh, but we're done with that now. Oh, yeah, lose my will again. Oh, okay. This is oh, just a casting aspersions already again. Uh, my number six is Shit House. Um, this is a 2020 movie that I think not a lot of people have seen and uh, is absolutely one of my favorites. It's become the movie that I recommend the most to people, I think, from 2020. Um, and it's made by and starring in about like a 22-year-old. Well, I guess he's not 22 in the movie, but it's made by a 22-year-old kid named Cooper Rafe. He plays this young man who's a freshman in college, and he's really struggling to fit in, and he doesn't know how to interact with the college lifestyle. And he has this experience where he, he spends a night um, with this girl played by Dylan Glulish, who's amazing in the movie, and it changes his sort of outlook on college. And he goes through sort of ups and downs over the course of these couple days. But to me, it's like one of the best movies about young people because it's made by a young person who actually like understands what you know 18 to 22 year olds are like and like the college experience if anyone's been to like american university i know that's sort of a specific experience but like the details that it captures are so on point so accurate um and i thought that stuff is so moving and i love that this movie's not afraid to be sad to be awkward like to be too personal you know it's almost uncomfortable sometimes with like how intimate it gets and that's what i think makes it really special um there's an argument specifically in this movie that i think is like among the best scenes i've seen in the last couple of years um it's a movie that's funny and, and you know, it's and it's got a great soundtrack, which is kind of underrated. Um, again, it's a movie that, again, it's kind of under the radar, but I would highly recommend people check this out. It's one of those sort of gems from 2020 that I think were sort of like got passed by because of the way that movies were released and stuff. But um, it's totally worth your time. And I, I thought it was like, again, a pretty amazing and revelatory experience for me. Uh, yeah, I watched this for the first time last night. Uh, I was up until like, 2 2 30 in the morning watching this um this is another movie that i think is fine i get why paul would like it this seems like a movie that's very much up paul's alley i think i went into it expecting something a lot different because when i heard coming of age college movie and the title shit house uh i was expecting something more along the lines of like project x to be completely yeah. honest like <laughs> and, and looking at the poster where it's just people sitting there drinking from solo cups it's like i expected a movie about a party and then the party is maybe the first 20 minutes of the movie uh and then i i think it's interesting because i i relate to the main character a lot i am someone who is currently in university and really has not made a lot of friends through university i just kind of know of people and don't really know people uh and so seeing that it was like it's very refreshing to see someone who gets that feeling, who gets that feeling of like, this is where I'm supposed to be figuring out who I am and like meeting people and becoming who I am for the rest of my life. And I'm not really doing that. I'm just stuck. Uh, and I think his performance is fantastic. That argument is incredible. I think the issue is like, again, I just don't, fall like i don't fall in love with or care about the characters too much like they don't give me enough time to connect with them before they start being really bad people in certain ways where like you meet the girl and like she's really nice and then out of nowhere all of a sudden she just isn't talking to him is being the worst and then he takes that in the completely wrong way and like it's interesting to see how these signals get misread um, but yeah, uh, 
it stars uh, the worst part of Love Simon. Uh, but Logan Miller, yeah, he's he's good in the movie. He's like uh, the, he, no, he's, the college, he's the most my realistic roommate you've ever seen in, in a movie. The, the, the scene where he is doing where they have uh, muffins <laughs> and open mic, and he's like, "Look, I'm hungover. I got drunk." I was going to wake up and write my jokes for this, but I was asleep. So now I'm here. And he's just like yelling at the audience because they don't think he's funny, despite the fact that he is not telling any jokes, I think was really good. Um, yeah, I didn't love it, but I, I understand why it's on your list. I understand why people do. Uh, I'm going to assume that uh, I'm trying to point. These two haven't seen it. I know Scott has because I saw he's logged it on Letterbox. Uh, so we'll come to Scott last. Nope. Cool, Scott. We got there quickly. Um, yeah, I uh, I really like this movie. It was in my top ten of twenty twenty. Um, I agree with Paul's thoughts. I think uh, I Dylan Galula is always great. I also love how vulnerable it lets Cooper Rafe be as a young male, and you know it really lets him like show all of his emotions. He cries at multiple times in the movie. And that's just something that I think we should normalize depicting in these types of movies. Um, and so I really appreciate that about it. It might've made my list. If the last three or four minutes weren't a little I, bit of a letdown. Uh, I feel you. But it's, I agree. it's a great I, I, do, I, agree. I, I, agree. I don't like the way that it ends between yeah. the two of them. I think it yeah, would have yeah, been yeah, yeah. much better let's if not, it was the not, other way let's, Yeah. Let's keep it. Down. Yeah. No spoilers. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's a great movie though. Um, and then my number five was Lady Bird, and my number or, yeah, and my number four or my number five was Twentieth Century Women. My number four is Lady Bird. So moving on, Shit. Spence. Uh, Spence, it's your turn. Yeah. So my number seven uh, is Easy A. We have a scoff from Mr. Scott Harvey. Fuck Mr. Scott you. Harvey. Lawyer boy, <laughs> this movie's great. I love them. Like I, I think we mentioned it before. I forget which one it was exactly. Of like being more of a comedy than coming of age film. I think this film sort of subverts that idea a little bit because you have Olive going through like a smaller but still really substantial arc in her future of seeing how horrible people can really be, and even this white life people try to take advantage of it. And these the the supporting cast of characters is amazing. I think Stanley Tucci obviously is a god in everything. Amanda Bynes is great, Thomas Hayden Church, and um, fucking Phoebe, whatever her name is, uh, are a great in their little side of romance. I think it's just a lot of fun for a film while also understanding the weight that these decisions have in the characters, which I feel like, which I feel like a lot of high school teen comedy sort of throw by the wayside sometimes. Oh wow, you, you smoke quickly. That's points in your favor. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, I I enjoy this movie. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, trying to think. I don't love Amanda Bynes in this, but she's also kind of a non-starter in this movie. So like, she's barely in it for the most part. Uh, same with whichever one of the Machalkas it is uh, that plays her best friend. I can't remember Allie. which one. Yes, you do. Is you it know, because it's from Band Slam. Yeah, I know it's from Band Slam, but. <laughs> They're they're twins, Scott. I'm allowed to be confused by which one of them it is. Um, you got to be confused by Stanley Tucci. I, I well, love in other ways, he may be confused. I think, I think her parents are great because they're parents who like don't care in the best way. Where they're like, 
we will let you have your space. You can, but you can talk to us about anything, and we will not hold anything back from oh. you guys. Like they're so uncomfortable. Um, yeah, uh, I love at the end of the movie when they ride off on "Don't You Forget About Me." Um, <laughs> Beautiful scene. Someone had to make the joke. It might as well be me. Um, yeah, I think this is a good pick. I don't love it. Uh, Bar has been blocked in the <laughs> chat apparently. <laughs> By it was me this joke. week. <laughs> really horrible joke. Um, <laughs> and people are asking for it to happen as though it didn't already. Who's the nerd now? Uh, but no, I I like this movie. It wouldn't have been in my ten, but I get the pick. Uh, yeah, everyone else. This is the ultimate, like, when it's on TV, I'll always watch it. Super fun, super charming. Uh, to me, there's just nothing that makes this movie stand out as really being special. It's just, it's entertaining. I enjoy watching it. Again, it's, like, not something I ever regret watching. Um, and I really like Emma Stone in it. But to me, like, especially, like, I think the male characters are kind of uninteresting and lame, which I guess is maybe by design. But, like, I don't know, Penn Badgley, not super exciting actor for me. And, like, the rest of the supporting cast, like, for whatever reason, just doesn't really do much so i think outside of amazon it's sort of like came by numbers a little bit um we throw this one on every like other month or so and i just haven't found i've just like haven't really wanted to like finish it or like i always find myself like falling asleep um whether that's like accidental or just yeah i don't know um yeah to borrow cameron's phrase this movie's fine to me um <laughs> i i like Parts of it, like, yeah, Stanley Tucci, Lisa Kudrow, they're great. Um, but I think it just feels like a warmed-over John Hughes movie to some extent. Um, and uh, I also think that Amanda Bynes' character is way over the top in, in a way that doesn't really work for me. So, um, yeah. I don't think Amanda Bynes has ever not been over the top in a movie. <laughs> yeah. She's not some of that. She's all of that. I wish there were more dancing lobsters. Garbage. No, do not invoke the name of female that garbage movie. Uh, Spence, what's your six? Uh, my number six, it's me, and it's Earl, and it is the Dying Girl. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, for those who didn't know, uh, I was a pretentious film bro in high school. Never really went away, and I saw this shit three times in theaters because I felt spoken to. Uh, and I rewatched it since then. It's just like a really. Again, like to me, a lot of the importance of coming of age films is understanding and putting weight to everything teenagers go through. And while I have like an extreme version of this with uh, Olivia Cook's character who has cancer, it's also just like how important these ma the making films is to um, Thomas Mann and uh, Greg. Greg, thank you, and then R uh, R.J. Kyler, I think it is. And there's yeah. so much fun there, but also they understand like how important it is to other people, the their entrepreneurship. And the interpersonal relationships are great. I think uh, Greg, uh, fucking when uh, when Greg is teaching her the the fake dying to get out of conversations, it's fucking hilarious. Well, also, I'm losing my words here. Uh, it's just it's just it's a film that just means a lot to me as someone who just want who's going to film school right now, really, and seeing the characters follow their passions even in small steps is a really fun time to watch. Uh, yeah, I rewatched this in the second half of last year because uh, there was a match where I was asked who plays the dad in this movie, and I could not remember it, so I guessed. Uh, and in a genre that I really like, 
I should know things. So I rewatched it. Uh, I like this a lot more on a rewatch than I did the first time. Uh, I think Olivia Cook specifically is fantastic in this movie. Like her entire performance, but especially in the latter half of the movie where things start to go, like she starts to get worse and worse, just breaks me. The ending is beautiful. Uh, I love all of the dumb jokes of the movie parody titles that they come up with, where it's sort of, where they literally just go, "We take a really famous movie, we change one letter in the title, and we shoot the film." <laughs> it's like, and it's like they have so many, and there's so many that aren't even said. But if you just like pause and watch as they go through like all of the like VHS tape cases and whatnot, you're like, "These are so dumb." but I would watch an hour and a half long movie where it is just five minutes from each of these films. To I, see have wanted to name a, I have wanted to name a Warzone team Pooping Tom for so fucking long. <laughs> Loaded with those. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think RJ Seiler is a great uh, like foil sidekick to uh, Thomas Mann. I think they're both great. I love the Hugh Jackman cameo in the middle of the movie that kind of just comes out of nowhere. That's really fun. Uh, yeah, I I respect the pick. Everyone else, it's a uh, it's funny that you bring up trivia matches because this movie has cost me multiple trivia matches. Uh, with that being said, I do really like the movie. I just need to rewatch it, obviously, because it comes up a lot. Uh, but yeah, it's a good movie. I always appreciate Olivia Cook. I think she's underrated in, in some movies that are even better than this one. Um, and R.J. Tyler is really funny. Um, it's a good movie. Yeah, this movie really doesn't work without Olivia Cook. I think if Olivia Cook's not as good, I think the movie really falls apart because like her character is written in kind of a strange way, I think. Um, I've read this book and Greg is like so unlikable in the book. It's like kind of hard to read, honestly. And like that's something I appreciate about the adaptation process is like he's actually pretty likable and like an actual human being in this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Earl's character, especially. Um, he's probably my favorite from the movie. and. This, you know, this was pretty close for me. Didn't quite make it. But yeah, I mean, as a kid who's obsessed with movies, of course, like, you know, a bunch of teenagers being obsessed with Werner Herzog and stuff like that stuff's going to speak to me in some way. Um, and yeah, it's it's a, it's got like, weirdly, like the ending is treated as like kind of lighter than I feel like it is. Um, but overall, like, I think it's such a great journey for these these people. And um, yeah, just missed out on my list by a bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I would say that. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, Spence, you're five. And this is how I lose. Uh, nice little French film called Blue is the Warmest Color. Oh, wow. Yeah, there. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, I will. I will <laughs> this, this is one of the first. So I, I got into film around 2013. This is something that was like, ooh, let's be pretentious for a night. And for some reason, that stuck with me for the past like seven years. I think this is like this is a beautiful film about first love and how that can that can, how that can impact all of your relationships going forward. I think the relationship between between Adele and Emma just it gave me an insight into adult relationships at a young age and just the adult that I could sort of see myself as without being super adult of just like this is forty, which is a weird I don't know why I went there, but it's a really lovely sweet film that is fucking ruined when you when you realize the behind the scenes manipulation and horrible shit that's gone on about it uh i've worked on recontextualizing and especially skipping those scenes when on my rewatches and on them it still works amazingly just the burden behind the film has sort of soured its career unfortunately uh yeah 
I didn't watch this because I know what this movie is about. I know the kind of content that's in it. And I know that's not really something that aligns with what I would enjoy watching. Uh, I So I avoided this. I've heard both that it's like a very well-made movie and that like the story is very good. But I also know the stories behind the scenes of what happened there and how bad it is. Um, yeah, so I can't grade you on the quality of the film necessarily, but there's some oof there. Uh, everyone else. I haven't seen it actually. Yeah, this, um, this is a classic movie of like, the best comic book movies that you didn't know were comic book movies. And then like, um, you realize it was made by a, like a disgusting person who has like a really warped sense of the human, you know, concepts of gender and sexuality. Um, I'll just say, read the Manola Dargis New York times article about this. I think that succinctly wraps up that stuff. But even beyond that, I think this is just like a movie that is so obsessed with itself and like the way that it wants you to see it's, it's ideas and how it's made. Um, and it, there's, uh, to me, there's like no emotion behind it. Like as much as Adele Xartropoulos and Leia Seydoux like inject some sense of humanity into it, it just is so clearly made without much consideration. And I think it's just a gross movie. That's like, I just think it's really bad um, beyond even the stuff behind the scenes or whatever, like the stuff on, on the camera, I just think it's really poorly conceived. And I think the characters are just like super thin. So this is just like, it's a super frustrating movie. And it's like, it's a movie that in theory, like I would like to like something like this, but like, Made by someone else, made in a different way, maybe, but not this. Uh, all right, you're four, Spence. Don't call it a comeback. I need the points. Book smart. <laughs> Fuck all it? of you. Wow. Book smart's amazing. Wait, wait, wait. I thought Brooklyn was tight. Wow. Wait. That's wild. Anyway. I, I, I know what's going on here. We'll get to that, but we'll start with Spence. Booksmart is amazing. It's perfection. It's the last movie I remember watching the first time. I'm like, holy shit, this is one of my all-time favorite films. I love every single character here. And it's, it truly understands what I want from coming-of-age films, especially high school films, where it's like, acknowledge that, that high schoolers in particular are really shitty people and just run with it. I Oh my god, I need to stop being on the show. I can't remember anything when I'm pressured. <laughs> I... I, so I'll never come up on the show, so I feel like I can say it now. I think Gigi is one of the best characters of the 2010s. I Spence, think it literally came up on the episode "Best <laughs> Film Characters." <laughs> I think I think also uh, Billy Lord gives one of the best support performances of the decade is Gigi. I think that character is what a fucking masterful creation, and I'm so happy it exists. Uh, Amy and Molly are just two, two protagonists I would just really connect with the second that they came on screen. It's me that I re find myself revisiting and enjoying jokes more over and over every single time that I watch it. One of the few films that I actually really enjoy rewatching nonstop. It's, it's the most recent film I can think of where it's an immediate suggestion every time I meet somebody. It's like, what should I watch? This is what I give them because this is exactly what a coming of age film should be. And nobody else has it. Uh, yeah, it is no secret that I love this movie. This movie already is in my top 10 favorite films of all time. 
Uh, I watched this movie right around the time it came out. Paul, watch the show, and you wouldn't have these crazy reactions if you actually just paid attention to the show that, that you're on. Um, I'm just reacting for the show, like you said earlier. I know the list, <laughs> but I'm just reacting for the audience. Um, but no, this is I, I like this is a movie that the very first time I saw it, I went, oh, wow, there are people who actually understand what modern high school is like and understand what it's like to not be popular in high school because if you couldn't tell by the everything about me i was not popular in high school um but just seeing this story that so totally reflected my personal experience of like i was a nerd i studied hard i tried in school i did not go to parties and i a hundred percent absolutely looked down on the people who did and seeing the story where it's like yeah we're looking at it from the exact perspective of that is really interesting and seeing how the dynamic changes uh seeing it through the eyes of molly and amy i think they're both great uh i think both of them are fantastic their argument scene at the party is fantastic the scene in the swimming pool is absolutely beautiful and i love it and the song that plays there is fantastic i love just like the really short 30 second to one minute long fantasy dance sequence that shows up in the middle of the movie at the party uh, I think it's great. It's just a great representation of modern nerd uh, culture uh, and like being unpopular. Uh, I absolutely adore it. Uh, I'll start with going to Brooklyn because I know what because everyone the, the reactions of people seem to be surprised that Brooklyn didn't have a nose list. I know what happened, so we'll start with Brooklyn. Brooklyn. So this is my this is my zero. Like this is very much the like. What Piano Man is to Billy Joel, this movie for me is like is for coming of age. Is it objectively the best? Is it objectively my favorite coming of age movie? Yes, but I intentionally left it off because I want to talk about other movies, and I talked about the, I talked about it a lot, and I wanted to kind of have a force rule to talk about different yeah. stuff. Brooklyn sent me a list that had Booksmart on it, and then he revised his list and put something else on, and we will see how that has affected things. Uh, I will I will talk later about how that affected things, but. Uh, we'll go to Paul next because Scott put up a sign that said he's in danger. So I feel like well, things are about to go wrong. So we'll go to Paul. Uh, yeah, so I will always have a special memory of this movie. Um, because so Bumble was doing these college screenings of the movie like before it like had come out, come out and like Bumble so the dating app? Yeah, yeah. So they had like a whole experience where they had like goodie bags and, and like swag they passed out. And I was at our school when I was in college. And this was like right before I was graduating college. And I had this experience where I was with two of my best friends and we watched this movie together. Um, and especially like the scene where they go to get pancakes and stuff. We just were like looking at each other and crying. And it was like the perfect moment for me to watch this movie, I think. Um, I've rewatched it since and I still really, really like it. To me, just like it didn't have that sort of specialness as when I first watched it. So like, Again, this would be like in sort of my teens, hypothetically, if we're making a long list of coming of age stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Molly Gordon is like, you know, love of my life, basically. So I always enjoy her and things. Um, but I think the one thing that like makes this like the slight difference to me is it just feels like there's a slight unreality to it that like, I understand is intentional. But like it just feels so like aggressively sort of like like a privileged school in a way that like sort of takes me a little bit out of it. That's really the only thing I would ding it for. But yeah, I mean, super fun, kind of great all-in-one-night kind of movie. And um, super, again, super enjoyable. I love pretty much all the performances in it. I found everyone super likable. I do think it's kind of weird that Spencer, I think, ends up with the, the teacher. That thing is kind of strange. I don't know what that's kind of about. But yeah, super funny, great movie. Can rewatch it tons of times. And again, will always be special to me in that way. 
Absolutely. And if you want to know who not to watch this movie with, the answer is your parents who are in their 50s. <laughs> Guess who made that mistake? Uh, <laughs> Whoops. Uh, uh, Scott. Yeah, no, the I'm in danger was just in general to the fact that none of us had this on our list, but I also really enjoyed this. Despite the fact that it gets talked about so much around here, despite the fact that my podcast co-host, Scott, feels the same way about it as a lot of people around here do uh, and talks, talks it up a lot. The movie's great, right? Like, it, the best movies can be overhyped, and I think that um, this uh, this definitely falls within that camp. Um, I don't really have much else to say, except if you don't know how great this movie is, you ought to know, Alan. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're in the top three. Scott Harvey, what do we got? All right. Well, if Michael Campbell is still in the chat, happy birthday to Michael Campbell. My number three is Almost Famous. Right. Yeah, another one of my favorite movies of all time. We're in that range of the list now to where we're just we're talking about, you know, top 10, top 20 of all time. Um, and yeah, this movie combines, you know, music movies and coming of age movies, which are two of my favorite things. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's never been combined better like this. This movie just feels like it was made for me at times, like, you know, the beginning of the movie when. Anita says, oh, I'm leaving. I want you to listen to this song. And this explains why I'm leaving. And she plays America by Simon Carfunkel, which is probably my favorite song of all time. Um, when I saw this movie for the first time, I was just like, wow, like, how, how does that even happen? That, like this song, I mean, it's an iconic song, so it's not that um, amazing. But still, you know, it, it just it hit me at the right time. Um, and yeah, it's just like, I love all of the characters. Um, I love like, again, we've talked a lot about movies where um, it's about like kids trying to figure out where they fit in. And I love that this kid finds like this unorthodox crew to fit in. And like, even though every single person is telling him the one thing you can't do is make friends with these people. It's like he's never had real friends before or whatever. So he's just intoxicated by being around them, being around their lifestyle. Um, and, you know, even though they're kind of treating him in a pretty crappy way um, a lot of the time and, you know, constantly putting him off for the interviews and stuff. Um, but Patrick Fugit, you know, gives a great one-off performance. He's in a couple other things, but this is really, you know, this is it for him. Um, and then, yeah, the, but the real legwork, right, is the two supporting actresses. I think saved like this will not earn you points. <laughs> and gone, girl. Um, the, the two, the legwork for me is Kate Hudson and Frances McDormand who are, you know, both got nominated for an Oscar. I think they're both amazing in their own way. I love just the scenes with um, when he's on the phone with Francis McDormand and, you know, the groupies are around him. That's really funny. Sorry, the band-aids. Um, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, amazing. Um, and I just, one of my favorite line readings in a movie is where he like calls him up after he's been out on the road for a little bit. And William is just kind of like ranting and raving about how great it is to be on the tour with him and he hangs up and Paul and Philip Seymour Hoffman just like the kids on drugs and the way like the way he delivers that line is so perfect um and then yeah the you know the tiny dancer scene means a lot to me as I think it does to you know anyone who watches the movie and loves music so um yeah this is just a combination of a lot of things that I really love and um Cameron Crowe again this is this is good Cameron Crowe this is great Cameron Crowe this has never been better Cameron Crowe 
Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I think Patrick Fugit is great in this movie. I think the fact that he didn't really do anything after this for the most part, like that he didn't become a bigger name is kind of strange to me. Uh, I think that Billy Crudup is great in this movie. I find it interesting that we have Almost Famous right after we have Booksmart, which directly parodies Almost Famous at one point uh, with the I Am a Golden God. Yeah. Uh, I I think that Philip Seymour Hoffman is just a really interesting supporting character. I love Frances McDormand and the way that she just like fully disapproves of pretty much everything that's going on for the entire movie, but the way she grows as well as a parent. Uh, Zoe Deschanel in her very small amount of time is fantastic. Uh, my personal favorite scene is in the plane when the plane's about to crash and they all just start confessing yeah. everything they've done. It's like, I stole your iPod. And it's like, just like these really small, like, like some of them are very meaningful where it's like, I may or may not have killed a man in a hit and run versus I took your iPod. And it's like the things that matter more to some of these people to confess at the time. To Cameron Crowe, I know, I know which one would probably be worse. In, in the <laughs> and then... Uh, just seeing they're fine, uh, everything's okay, and the the awkward silence and the uncomfortable air after that happens, where they're just sitting there and they're like, we didn't die, and now we have to live with the confessions that we have just made to each other. Uh, I think it's really, really enjoyable. Uh, yeah, it's a good pick. Uh, why did the rest of you not have it? And why does Spence keep getting blocked? Talk to you, Coho, you little fit, you little blonde. So, so, so this one was actually on my short list. Um, whenever I did, whenever I did watch it, um, I for some reason I, I don't attach to it as much as I movies I expected to. Um, I think I think just throughout like or not 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 throughout rather, but like the the movie community in general maybe overhyped like the tiny answer scene for me. So like whenever that happened, I was just kind of like, oh not like it wasn't as impactful as as i was maybe maybe expecting but maybe that's my own like my own my own fault um but yeah like it's like it's good um i just had other movies i want to talk about also yes nazari i'm aware i said ipod and that's not what the actual thing is but i couldn't remember what the actual thing is so i said ipod <laughs> this is a great movie i have i have no issues with it being here it's, it's one of those which is like objectively it's great I don't connect with it 100%, but that's because I haven't seen it since high school. Uh, I'll rewatch it eventually, but good pick. Yeah, I mean, it's a testament to how good the movie is that Jimmy Fallon's in it, and it is not completely derailed. Um, I, so I don't know. I think start laughing before any line read that he has. That he <laughs> Probably did. They had to cut it out. They had to cut out the audio. But no, I mean, to me, the tiny dance machine is like instant sort of like serotonin. It's like injecting it directly into my bloodstream. So like, I have to be careful to not watch it too much so I don't dilute sort of how amazing it is to me. But like, I mean, you know, I have to go home. You are home is like just one of the movie lines that is just one of my favorite things ever. Um, I love this movie. I just, again, felt like highlighting other, other kinds of movies. And I've had this on wireless a bunch of times before. Um, and yeah, I just think the, the cast was terrific. Phil Seymour Hoffman, our greatest phone actor of all time. Um, anytime he's on a phone, it is magic. Uh, and yeah, just a terrific movie. What else is there really? I mean, it's almost famous. I don't know. What else is there to say really? Oh, Lock the Gates. Also, lock the gates. Also, so, uh, one thing I the, the scene where uh, William and Penny are talking about how old they are, and it's like, how old are you? 18. Me too. Okay, now how old are we really? 17. Oh, nice. Okay, I'm 16. Yeah, see, the, the truth sounds nice. Different. It's like, the truth sounds a lot different. 
I'm 15. <laughs> it's like <laughs> having to correct himself and I find that enjoyable. Uh, Brooklyn, what is your three? All right. Uh, my number three is my only animated movie, but not the one you think uh, when Marnie was there. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I touched this one maybe more than more than others should. Um, so this is a story uh, of, a, of a girl named Anna. Um, her and her family move, move, to a, move to a home move to a new home, but then Anna discovers this um this like old abandoned property and um and while she's there she meets this she meets this uh this girl named Marnie and uh and her and Mar- her and Marnie become friends but but throughout but like in, in the beginning of the movie Anna's frustrated with her with her family in, 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 in some in some way there's some aspect of that and over the course of time um Anna's able to like, to, to grow up or not not grow up but like really grow and really able able to appreciate like the good traits like like the good traits in life and how you're able to like you know those are the those are the defining as- aspects and I um and I was able to relate that a lot um the ending kind of hit kind of hit hard um just with like with certain things that have happened in my life um but yeah this is a this is a Studio Ghibli movie that I think more people should check out uh it's 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 touching um and it's kind of got that great Studio Ghibli uh, feel to it. Uh, no one else had this, right? I ask sarcastically. No? Okay. Um, <clears throat> this, in my personal opinion, is easily... Spence, stop putting yourself in the chat under different identities. <laughs> Are you making new accounts in the middle No, I have all these different accounts, different emails. <laughs> this, in my opinion, is easily, easily Studio Ghibli's worst movie. In my opinion, of the ones I have seen, no question about it. I Boy, do I have a like Tales from Earthsea for uh, you? Boy, do I have a- <laughs> I haven't. I have been actively avoiding Tales from Earthsea. Um, I think the main character is just incredibly unlikable. She's mean to almost everyone, and when you find out the reason why she's being mean to everyone, it kind of doesn't make sense. Like they. Like, she finds out this piece of information about the foster parents that are taking care of her. She's like, this is why I hate the world. And then you're like, you know, this really isn't, like, that big of a deal or that bad of a thing, in my opinion. Like, you're really overreacting. And she's just like, they don't really love me. And it's like, no, they're taking care of you, and they really do. And then the weird relationship between Anna and Marnie where it's so unclear if Marty's a real person or not, and then you get to the twist at the end where it's revealed how Marty is connected to Anna, and even when you put the voice actress that voices uh, the older version of Marty, who I love, it's like, it just didn't work for me. I think it's ridiculous. I think it is really confusing. I just couldn't connect with it. There's moments where Anna starts to seem really likable, and then she just like, um, like there's a moment where she's out on the street and she's just walking with people, and they're being really nice to her. There's nothing going wrong, and then out of nowhere, she just calls this girl fat, and like there's no, there's no like thing to start that. It just happens, and it stops the forward momentum and growth that you see in this character. Uh, yeah, no, I. I really do not like this movie. Uh, let's go to the rest of the panel. I haven't seen it. I had an anime film on here, and then I took it off. It wasn't it, though. 
Yeah, I, uh, I like Studio Ghibli, but this is not one that I've seen. Uh, yeah, I, I'm starting to wonder if like Cameron has met real teenagers and kids, because like kids are pretty horrible sometimes, and that's just kind of how they are. And I don't know, I think that's pretty true to life. Um, I really like this movie a lot. It's again, not to be disrespectful, it's not one of my even top five favorite Studio Ghibli coming of age movies. So like, just wouldn't be on here for me. Uh, the ending doesn't work for me. I will agree with you on that, Cam. I think the ending really sort of takes away from what the movie's driving towards. And I think like there are ideas that the movie's sort of setting up that I would really wish it would have followed through with. Um, again, animation's great. I really like um, sort of character work and the journey that she goes on. I think like, you know, her being unlikable sort of does work for me. I think that's, it feels real, especially true to her experiences, but um, just for whatever reason, it doesn't end up following through at the end. So it just misses the mark for me by a little bit. But I think it's good. It's a really good movie. Uh, all right, we'll move on to Paul's three. Uh, yeah, to quote uh, Dua Lipa, uh, I got you. Moonlight is my number three. Um, <laughs> it is also my number three. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, again, they're... Not a lot of super new things to say about Moonlight. It's like maybe the most coming-of-age movie. Maybe one other one that might even be on the, a later list might take the crown in that sense. But um, it is a movie that is so much about growth, about change, about how circumstances um, can affect someone's life and how that can change the way that we perceive them. It's got, honestly, one of the most cathartic moments in any movie I can remember that involves a chair and another person. Um, that moment is like the ultimate release to me, and that's like so... Um, I mean, it, this movie looks gorgeous. The music, Nicholas Breitel makes nothing but masterpieces, basically. Um, Marshall Ali, my, probably my favorite supporting character of the 2010s, at least very much up there. Um, again, I love all the different phases of Chiron, and especially, I think Kevin is pretty underrated in this movie, too, especially Andre Holland. Um, the moment near the end in his apartment is, like, one of the most special movie moments for me. Um, yeah, this is just a movie I remember seeing at a little indie theater in the middle of Indiana in the fall and just sitting there after it ended and just being kind of stunned at what I just experienced. And I've seen it like six or seven times since then. Um, it's just such a special movie to me. And I think it's, it takes you into the life of someone that, you know, I don't understand this person's experiences at all, but it made me feel like I'd really gone through all these things with him. So, um, it's just got kind of everything you want in a movie really from top to bottom. It's like got so many levels to it and it's still entertaining and life affirming and all this stuff. So yeah, just, you know, it's Moonlight. I mean, it's, it's a perfect fucking movie. There, there are movies I enjoy more lower on the list, but it's hard to not understand like the masterwork that, and look at like, like this is, this is a masterpiece. Barry Jenkins made one of the best films of all time here. Nicholas Patel composed one of my favorite scores of all time. Everything in here is just firing in all cylinders. You really just feel for the, for, for Chiron throughout the whole story. And it's, it just impacted me and sort of struck me in a way that no other films really have before. Like it felt really unique and I think that it, it deserves respect and I'm glad to see it on this list. And hey, just real quick, I know like there's other movies that I've, I, I didn't include because I talked about too much, but to me, this is a movie I couldn't not have on this list. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember 2016 was the year I started like really getting into film where I was like, I'm going to try and watch all the Oscar movies. I'm going to do all this. Year. And I remember I literally got in like a verbal debate in the middle of a musical theater rehearsal with someone. Cause they were like, uh, cause they were arguing, I think one of like, I don't even remember what movie it was should win best picture. I was like, no, 
Moonlight, without question, as much as it's not my favorite of the Best Picture nominees from that year, objectively, the correct winner should win the Oscar. Uh, Paul brought up my favorite moment in the movie, which is just the shot, the like long one shot with the chair. Every time I see it is just so like it's something so visceral and like terrible to see but you watch it and you're like a good for him and b like it's b it's like somehow framed so beautifully where this chaos and violence looks incredible um i think the relationship between uh chiron and is it is his name kevin is his name kevin, kevin. yeah is so pure I think the way it's told through the three stages of life and seeing how the way he was raised affects him as a teenager and seeing how the choices he made as a teenager affect who he's become as an adult is really, really interesting. Uh, I think the, the thing that makes this really work as a coming-of-age movie is the way that it truly shows the full beginning to end of this person without, like, taking... without feeling too long. Like, this is not... In an extremely long movie, like and it flies by. You get just these beautiful pieces of this guy's life, and I think it's fantastic. Absolutely deserving of a spot on this list. Uh, Scott in Brooklyn. This Scott, you like a twenty-four movies? Where is it? <laughs> I agree that it's absolutely deserving of a spot on this list. Um, I think it's a brilliant movie. I can't say a bad word about the quality of the filmmaking. I don't connect with it as much as um, some of the other folks here do, um, which is totally fine. Not every movie is for everyone, but again, I admire um, the incredible craft on display here. I just went with movies that, you know, touch me more, and that's why I chose the 10 that I did, but I mean, I'm glad that this was, you know, on the list because it deserves to be. Uh, this was one of the three that was on my list to watch that I just didn't get time to. I'm so curious what you'll think of it because I honestly have no idea if like you'll really connect to it or not. That'll be fascinating, I think. Yeah. Uh, so here we go, top two. Scott Harvey, what's your number two? Okay, I'm sure it's going to shock everyone to know that my number two is Little Women. Honestly, oh. I think we're all just surprised that it's not your number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so here's the thing. Everyone knows that I like this movie to a psychopathic degree, and I am not expecting everyone else to ever get on the same level as me with this movie. Uh, but what I will say is I highly recommend rewatching this movie. Highly, highly recommend rewatching this movie because I think even for people who know the story the first time, like I did, um, just watching the movie the first time because of how it's structured, because it's a little different from other adaptations of Little Women, uh, you're trying to just sort of follow the story and, you know, f follow what's going on uh, the first time. And you can't necessarily see all of the strings, so to speak, that Greta Gerwig is pulling uh, throughout the movie. When you rewatch it I and you know the story, you know where it's going. I think you can really hone in on just the craftsmanship that is on display here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's a farce. We don't even need to go down the road. It's a farce that Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated for Best Director. Um, and certain people did um, because just the way that this movie is constructed adds uh, so many, like so many layers to the film, like these moments of symmetry where the 
past timeline, the present timeline come together. I mean, you know, to highlight one of my favorites, right? When Beth passes away, you know, we get this sort of symmetry of the first time when she gets really sick and Joe is up in her room and stays with her and like prays for her to, to make it through the night. She comes down, she comes downstairs and Marmy turns around the table and you see Beth is there and she's fine and it's great. Well, then a couple minutes later, we flash to the present and same, you know, situation after the scene on the beach too, which is heartbreaking. Um, and the, uh, you know, Marmy turns around and this time that's not there. And, you know, no dialogue, nothing has to be said. Um, it's just, it's perfect show, not tell, you know, God level filmmaking. And um, I just think that it's such a, you know, warm movie. I love that all the characters have their very specific dreams and they all get to achieve their dreams in their unique ways at the end. Um, it's sort of a radical movie in that way because women in this era didn't get to achieve their dreams. That's kind of one of the thesis statements of the movie. Uh, but Greta Gerwig is allowing them to do that, whatever that looks like. The performances are obviously amazing across the board. Uh, Florence Pugh is the standout, in my opinion. Um, I think the scene where she and Timothy Chalamet are in the studio, art studio, that I'm just a woman, that whole thing is absolutely perfect. Um, and yeah, you know, you can if you want to just hear my thoughts on this movie, which probably no one else does, because, again, I'm over, beyond fanatical at this point. Uh, just go look through my 10 letterbox entries uh, since this movie has come out and that will tell you all you need to know. Uh, I think this movie is an all timer. I never thought that a movie that came out in 2019 would rise so quickly to my top 10 of all time. But that's what a little woman is. Uh, so, Scott, before I say anything, I have a question. Are you wearing the shirt? Okay, you are cool. <laughs> I, was like, when I, saw this, I was like, if he doesn't, this and 20th century women. I, I, I have like, the one with the flowers on it, the same one, but with the flower design. So oh, yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I will preface every comment I am about to make with two things. One, Little Women is one of my favorite books of all time. I love the book. And two, my bar for Little Women adaptations is lower than one could possibly imagine. Because of Pure Flix's Little Women. That being said, I don't love this movie. I really don't. And here's my thing. I, I think there's a lot to love about it. I really do. There is a lot great. I do not love the choice to do it non-linearly, personally. I think it, like, I can see where it comes from. Uh, I think maybe the reason is that a lot of people went, this is very refreshing. You know what other movie tells the story of Little Women non-linearly? Somehow, Pure Flix's Little Women got there before this one did. Uh, legitimately, it's ridiculous. Um, but no, I think I think that Timothy Chalamet is fantastic in this. I think that Saoirse Ronan is fantastic in this. I think Florence Pugh is great in this when she is playing older Amy. I find it so distracting to me that they did not choose to cast a younger actress as younger Amy because seeing Florence Pugh play Amy who early in the thing is supposed to be so young is really distracting because I know that she's not that age and she doesn't really pass for it. Um, I like the costuming, fantastic. The score, fantastic. The way it's shot, fantastic. Just as a cohesive whole, I really don't totally love this movie. I 
probably need to rewatch it at some point. I've only seen it the one time, but on a first viewing, it left me very underwhelmed, especially after hearing how much everyone absolutely adored it. I mean, this movie's amazing. Uh, <laughs> this movie's fucking amazing. Uh, on a rewatch, you could probably break my top 100. For me, my, my, my thoughts are pretty much short and sweet of just, I feel like if I, like if I, if I, if I, ever, if I ever have a daughter, I'm showing this movie to her as soon as I can because to me it's 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 impactful and it just speaks to me a lot and even, and I feel like it speaks to my daughter even more. Perfect movie, amazing pick, Scott. I should have had it on here. If I have a son, I'm showing him this movie as well. I just want to say, <laughs> if uh, Scott has a friend, he's showing them this movie. Let's be real. <laughs> I do have a friend. Guy the street, if, not, if, no, if Scott has a guy it. in the street, he will. Scott Selson does not have in his hand. <laughs> Uh, this one did make my short list. Uh, I love this one in, in, uh, coming out of theaters. Uh, like one of the one of the more um, uh, one of the more better instances of just feeling joy uh, th- throughout it. Like what? Like the, I think the only time I've ever had like tears of joy. Um, how uh, Laura Laura Dern got nominated for Marriage Story and not this is kind of confusing because um, I think she has an integral part and like really like the glue uh, for everything. And then like Bob Odenkirk as a dad, I, I like. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to just walk in and have Bob Odenkirk as your dad? My little women. <laughs> <laughs> women. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw this movie Best in quote theaters, of 2019. <laughs> uh, three times. I've seen it a bunch of times since. It's now like in my heavily in my Christmas movie rotation. Um, yeah, I guess I just didn't thi- like. Obviously, it does count. I just didn't think of it when coming of age was sort of brought up, and for that reason, like. I guess that stuff, like, even though that is kind of the whole point of the movie, for whatever reason, it just didn't um, feel like it fit in that box. But, I mean, yeah, I think I've talked about this movie a bunch, too. Um, one of the most sort of joyous and um, heartwarming experiences. Chris Cooper made me cry in two movies in the year 2019. He's such a, uh, a warm bath in this movie, as, as Joe Reed once said. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a movie that moves me endlessly. It never fails to work. All the moments, like, still hit every time I watch it, which is, like, surprising because in dramas like that sometimes when you know the beats are going to happen they don't deliver the moment where they dance at the party for the first time is when i knew this movie was going to be special and that's the, the moment where i just felt like there was something about this movie that was different and i could not have been less excited honestly going in i was so bummed after something so personal like ladybird i was like oh she's doing like the eighth adaptation of little women i don't know if i'm excited for this like this seems like a strange choice but if there ever was a movie that made an argument for adaptation it's this movie essentially um, and again, so many little moments. This the speech she talks about when she's she talks about being lonely. I think is really moving and powerful. And I love that it doesn't treat Meg like she's lesser than because she wants something different and like less ambitious. It's she just wants what she wants. And I think I love that it respects all the women in their different ways. I, and I just want to say real quick, it's funny that Paul said that about not thinking of it as a coming of age movie because actually when I was telling my list to to Scott Shelton the other night, he said the same thing, and I was like, Scott, go look at the letterboxed plot summary of the plot description of this movie. And it literally says four sisters come of age during the American civil war. <laughs> I was like, I rest my and case. Later on, it's sisters. Uh, and you summoned Scott by having this on his list and talking about him. I, guess I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but all right, we will go over to Brooklyn for Brooklyn's number two. All right. Uh, this is another, or I, yeah, I, obviously this person, but it's number two. Uh, it's edge of 17. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's, 
it's razor sharp um, at times. Uh, the fights in particular, um, like between between her and the mom and the brother, like you tell you can tell these guys have been have been, have been fight, fighting for a while and that they know how to get under each other under each other's skin. Um, Woody Harrelson uh, is role is really, is really cool. I love that. I love that idea of like you have hate like you have Haley's character coming in. And she's doing the same thing that every high school character, every high schooler does, uh, where she just like exaggerates everything. And it's like I have z- I have zero friends of the worst, the worst human being in the world. Uh, and then you have Woody Harrelson's like okay, and then like kind of just gives it gives it right back to her. And it's and it's this kind of like brash upfront uh, conflict a style uh, that that I like. Um, another scene is another scene that I that I also love as well is like um, the whenever she's with the with that guy, with that guy in the car. It, it's kind of a way it's it's kind of morbid in a way but it's just like despite our expectations not everything will go as as according despite how much we, we want to trust people people will people will be dicks um and i just i attach to that to that especially but yeah like Haley seinfeld when with this and like true grist and then um and like even like pitch perfect but yeah like my probably my favorite sign probably my favorite Haley movie overall Uh yeah, I really enjoy this movie. I my favorite part of this movie is Woody Harrelson. Absolutely, uh, I think as someone who is who a works with youth and b is studying to be a teacher, just he is such a real character. Like he seems like such a real person. Where he's like, "Listen, kid, it's great that you are coming to me with this, but also." This is not my job. I am not your therapist. Here is my two second is like here's my two sentence piece of advice. Can you please leave my classroom? But then still, like he forms this bond with her. Uh I I love the moment where she shows up at his house and it's like, What what's this baby? What is this baby doing here? And she and it's like, that's my child. And she realizes that he is a person outside of just being her teacher. And that he has this life of his own. Uh, I I think that Haley Steinfeld is fantastic. I love Hayden Sito in this movie uh, as Irwin. He is so charming and just really likable. Uh, I think it's very enjoyable. I think the script is so funny and witty. Uh, yeah, I, I like the pick. Why couldn't y'all have picked more bad movies for me to yell at on my first time hosting? I want to be asked back. Sorry, fan slam. Uh, I mean, this is womp womp womp. Scott almost had it, and he told me that, and I'm so sad. I did. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a good movie. Oh, sorry. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's a good movie. I didn't really talk. connect with me. Unfortunately, I, I, I echo all of Brooklyn's sentiments. Like, uh, Haley Steinfeld, Woody Harrelson are great. Uh, Keeping the trend of Blake Jenner and coming of age films, shit human being, shit character. Like, I think it's a very watchable movie. I think it's made very well. I just don't connect with the characters, unfortunately. I might rewatch it in the, in the next few years, and I think I'll like it more. Just not this time. Super you weird take on just character. Just had to bring like, in everybody wants some, didn't you? Um, I, don't know. No, I, to, I just yeah, have to show Blake Jenner where I can because Glee. Uh, <laughs> hey. I don't know. Hey. <laughs> this movie's great. Why uh, suction glee in you guys? That's uh, I don't know. I don't know why Kelly Kelly Freeman Craig hasn't made another movie yet. But um, anyway, this one is. Boob. 
Oh, wow. Now that I did not know. Wow. Uh, yikes. That's such a trajectory. Sorry, right I asked. This is what this is the type of teen comedy. Like I wish that uh, that Easy A was this. I feel like this movie is actually a little bit edgier, and Easy A is just kind of trying to be that. But um, yeah, uh, great performances. You know, Haley Lou Richardson. We haven't mentioned always a delight when she pops up. Um, and yeah, it's super funny. I love again the Irwin, his character, and the that he makes the movie at the end, and it's really sweet. And yeah. Really fun movie. Spencer, yeah, I love how you appre- I love how you expect that if you DM me your criticism, it won't still lower your score. I don't want to interfere with you technology is an awful character. I think that's insane. He's no, anyway. This used to be my favorite movie actually of 2016. Um first it's fallen a little bit over time. I love that the movie's not afraid to make Nadine unlikable. And I think that's one of the most important parts about it. Um, I think thinking Woody, Woody Harrelson being your favorite part of the movie like has earned you a spot in the Kingsman for life, I guess. That's like a very Caleb Boatman style take, I think. Um, I mean, my favorite part of the movie will surprise nobody that knows me. It's Haley Lee Richardson. I think her character is so effortlessly likable. And that's why it makes the stuff with her and Nadine work. Because even though she almost you know redeems Nadine by having a friend like this, it sort of speaks to like, the true qualities sort of that are within her. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand Spence's thing about Blake Jenner in this movie. I think like it's a really fascinating and really well-realized character where it's like, he's not just a stereotypical jock. He's this person who does deal with, you know, family struggles and like his are not forefronted, but I think that's like, it's really realistic that like he, you know, it's like, he feels like he can't complain because his sister is like toiling away, always suffering. Um, but he's got those struggles too. And I think that's really, really well done. And yeah, I mean, I've quoted this movie a lot of times. I've, you know, I've told people, I, you know, uh, I'll make love to you in the Petland stock room and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> when, when, when she's, when they're in the diner and she's like, Motion like miming a hand job talking about uh Chris's dad, like oh Greg, um, your khaki <laughs> pants or whatever she says, that stuff cracks me up. But yeah, it's a movie I love, and I'm it's great, nice to see like an Asian love interest, which is pretty rare in a movie like this. Um, that was refreshing for me, even though he's a 30 year old actor, which is weird. Um, but yeah, it's a, re- a really well made movie. The pool scene still makes me uncomfortable when he goes in for the kiss, and it's just like oh, you like slink back into your chair. Um, yeah, for some reason, like it's just lost a bit of connection over time. I also haven't seen it in like a year or so. So maybe if I watched it again, it would shoot back up on the list. But um, I mean, it introduced me to like maybe my favorite actress, Haley Richardson. So I will forever be grateful for it. All right. And we go to Paul for his two. Yeah. So my number two, uh, we're not done or we weren't done with animated movies earlier because my number two is Whisper of the Heart. So this has come over time come to be um, one of my absolute favorite movies ever. And like one of my favorite Studio Ghibli movies, like it's a simple but life affirming story that I think is like so much about the coming of age process. And it's about um, Shizuku, this young girl who, who wants to be a writer and it's her coming to terms with her dreams and like what it'll take to pursue them. And it's her sort of overcoming her anxieties and her fears and finding somebody else that sort of she can connect to in that way. This features like one of my favorite movie scenes of all time when they break into song. I don't wanna get too much into that because I think if you haven't seen it, that's a really special moment in the movie that's similar to a moment in Portrait of Lady on Fire, if people know what I'm talking about. But um, to me, like um, the use of Take Me Home Country Roads, which is an amazing song, but I think this is by far a better use than any of those 2017 movies that use them all in the same year. Um, it's it's again it's such a great movie it's a great music movie it's simple and gentle and it looks great and i know like for a lot of people like they're like oh it's fine or whatever it's not special but to me um what is it, it is special in, in the sense of like 
Um, it's so considered and, and specific. Um, and it's about this girl just finding out what her dreams are. And I, th I find that really moving and it's effective. I think it, it sets the two characters up to, to complement each other in a, in a really fun way. And it's a movie I could watch any day of the week. I've seen this movie like 10, 15 times. Um, it's something I always come back to, especially when I'm, when I'm feeling down, this always kind of brings me back up and it puts me in a good place. And for that, I will, I will always cherish this movie. Uh, yeah, this is another one that I watched for the first time for this list. Uh, got through a lot of Ghibli films that I've been meaning to get to. So thank you guys. Um, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I think I didn't immediately love it on first watch, but I know this is a movie that on rewatch, it will only grow on me for sure. Uh, I think that the story is just so simple and easy to follow and just very real. Um, and then uh, oddly enough with that though, my favorite part of the movie is the like basically fantasy sequence mm -hmm. where you see her fall into the story that she's written. Cause like, you're, you spend the whole movie seeing just, like, these real environments. She's in the city going around these weird places. And then all of a sudden, like, she enters just this fantasy world that is so beautiful to look at. Like, the colors and the animation of it are astounding. Uh, and her interactions with the Baron are so good. Uh, I think the Baron is one of my favorite uh, characters in that movie, if not my favorite. Because he's just so simple and he's so interesting uh plus he shows up he's i think one of the only if not the only studio ghibli character to appear in multiple films uh i think i agree with paul the use of take me home country roads is fantastic and hearing it in japanese uh i think was really interesting where it's this song that is so like the moment you think of that song it is so distinctly american like it's one of the most American songs there could possibly be. And the way they sort of take it and reclaim it and make it their own, I think is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I love the relationship between, uh, like, the, between... Seiji and Shizuku. Yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to remember the names, and I'm going to butcher them, so I'll just pause and hope Paul says it. I think it's so charming and real. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I cannot wait to watch it again. The story of the director is really sad too. Like this movie, sort of, and his career, like, sort of drove him to like. Yeah, seeing like, how old like, he was, I, I watched, has he done anything else? And seeing that he hadn't, I was like, dang. That, that's why Miyazaki retired for like a few years, and that's like what like his period of absence was between Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away is because he was mourning the loss of the director of this movie. So yeah, just a great a great piece for him to leave behind, though I think. Uh. The rest of you. Um, I haven't seen this yet. Uh, I knew that Paul would have it. He's told me to watch it before. And I would have watched it, but I'm going to watch it later this year for the feature presentation movie watching challenge. So I already have it listed down there. So I'm going to wa be watching it in a few weeks. And I look forward to it because I think it sounds like something I will like a lot. So I've seen... Okay. Yeah, I've seen four, uh, I've seen fourteen uh, Studio Ghibli films, and this ranks thirteen of fourteen. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't even necessarily say like it like it's it's bad. Like it, it's it's definitely great. Um, of of the ones on the list, I would say Secret Life of Arietti is is the only bad one. But um, I just I I don't attach to the like the the, cha the changing of, changing of the words uh, to 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 get it. Like like I understand why, but it's just like from a from a musician's perspective, I found I found like. 
my OCD was kind of was kind of uh, was kind of like going off the rails where it's like oh like this like this doesn't fit and it's like in, in my own head where it's like if you're going to change the words of a song like why don't you just make a new song but maybe I'd have to go maybe I think honestly I need to rewatch this but not have the English dub maybe like just go in with it's also a like, thing in Japanese culture like remake yeah, songs. I, American songs to be like Japanese. That is like yeah. a regular practice. I know that, yeah. Like, I know that, that might not be communicated, but that is like a fan. Also, I, know, I, know, I, I know that's um because I, I know with the dub than with the subs. Yeah. Or with um, the subs than the dub, sorry. Yeah. The ending of the dub is bad. The like the thing they say at the very end. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, I know that I know that um I know that you and I have talked talked about that um before. Um yeah, I don't know what it is, but another another animated music movie that I just can't attach to. I think Scott will love this, though. I think I'm pretty confident. Speaking of music movies, uh, <laughs> Sing oh. Street. Uh, one of my very predictable picks here. Uh, I fucking love this movie. John Carney owns real estate in my head and in my wallet. I will watch anything he puts out. I just think this is a really lovely, lighthearted film for someone who, like, I do experience a lot of that 80s nostalgia of just like wishing I could have like, you know, born in the wrong generation type shit. So, so getting, so getting to live through while all these kids are so passionate about music, especially I grew up in 80s music as well. So seeing them sort of discover their own art form through it and then trying to imitate the style because they're trying to learn about who they are. Also aping how they were trying to discover who they were in real life as well, I think is wonderful. All the music is amazing. I love it. Uh, Freddie Walsh, Pilo and uh, Lucy Boynton. Lucy, huh? Boynton. Lucy, Lucy Boynton are amazing. I love their chemistry and uh, her scene where she's listening to "To Find You," uh, just on her own, just in the orphanage, just weeping, destroys me every time. I was like, like the big thing holding this back from being my one, aside from a few other things, is the ending, which I think doesn't finish it off perfectly. But I think that's the only thing against this movie that I think is. I think, without a doubt, it was one of the best coming of age films of the decade, like, unquestionably. Uh, yeah, it's no secret. I enjoy this movie quite a bit. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I don't agree with you on the statement that all of the songs in this movie are great, because there's some that are intentionally not supposed to be great, and I it's think that's... so much fun. What, like, Riddle of the Model is objectively very cheesy and kind of bad, but that's the point, and I love it. Because it's exactly what it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be the first attempt of a kid just trying to get into music to write a song for a girl that he likes. And it's like, yep, you did it. You wrote a song. That's that's all we can say about that. Uh, but no, I think uh, for Dia Walsh Pilo is fantastic. And the fact that he hasn't really done anything after this movie is insane. Uh, Lucy Boynton is fantastic. Uh, and seeing how she also has not done a ton after this as well. Like, she was in Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's, like, mostly a lot smaller parts, hasn't really had a chance to be anything big in any movies. Um, I think uh, Jack Rayner, I really like in this movie. The dynamic between him, oh, and, yeah. uh, between him and Connor is fantastic, and he's also just, like, he is both one of the greatest pieces of comic relief in the movie but also has some of the most like emotional moments where he's both this person who's like it's like no woman will ever love a man who listens to phil collins but also like he's the one who inspires him to do all this he's the one who at the end is like things 
aren't going to get better if you stay here. So if you want to go, I will take you away from here. Uh, that final song by Adam Levine, uh, I think, is beautiful. I understand, like, the cheesiness of, hey, we're doing this thing, and a song plays over it. But, like, I love that song. I think both that and Drive It Like You Stole It should have been nominated. Uh, I I can't say enough positive things about this movie. I stacked song year, though. Stacked song year. I Very stacked song year. But also, like, we could have taken away one or both of La La Land's song nominations, and I would not complain. Go fuck yourself. So, yeah, I mean, so this is... I'm glad you had this at two because this is the second best coming of age movie starring for Joe Walsh Pilo. Uh, Coda, shout out to my Sundance heads, is a better movie than this. You guys will see when it comes out this year. Um, so, yeah, candidly, this was on my most overrated of the 2010s list, not because I don't like the movie, because I think like people have inflated this movie to such a degree that I think it's impossible to like step outside of that. Um, I love Jack Rayner in this movie, like you mentioned. Uh, I don't connect as much with Connor as a protagonist, which is kind of like the struggle for me. I don't think that like I'm invested in him. I don't really buy the romance either um, between him and Rafina, I want to say is her name. Um, I do think a lot of the music is terrific. Drive Like He Stole It, one of my favorite movie songs of the last 25 years, honestly. Like that is just terrific, terrific stuff. The, John Carney, just his style is like a little bit outside of my grasp, I think, for whatever reason. Um, but I mean, it's a really well-made movie for the most part, like, I don't really have any like big, big complaints. It's really just a thing where I don't really connect to it. I will say anyone who wants to read anything about this movie, one of my favorite film writers, Fran Hoffner, has a terrific article on Bright Wall Dark Room about Sing Street and the process of seeing it and what it means to her. And I think like that's some of the best film writing I've read in the last few years. So I would encourage everybody to read that. But um, good movie that like to me is just like has become something that's like a little too sort of you know, unbe you know, unbecoming to it. Go ahead, oh, bro. <laughs> uh, I, I, I haven't seen this. first. Um, yeah, um, I haven't seen it. I believe I listened to the soundtrack for your episode of Jam Session Camp. Nope, that was co-host. That was co-host. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wasn't entirely sold on the soundtrack, and I think that's what that's what's kind of kept it on on the back burner for that for that style for that like era of, like Celtic folk stuff. I tried to go either like newer or even older, but yeah. Um, this one. This one. Of been on my list um but i knew it would come up i pulled a paul basically and said i knew this would come up and so i didn't put it on my list um i absolutely adore this movie i i think um not just the original songs actually but the just the real like actual songs that they use in the movie like off the soundtrack like the the cure and the jam and like just all these great bands that totally fit i think the vibe of uh the movie and yeah the jack jack rainer's my favorite part i have a close relationship with my brother. So movies about brothers always get me. So of course the ending of this movie gets me. And his other great line is when uh, Connor is like, we don't know, well, we don't even know how to play yet. And he's like, you don't know, need to know how to play. Who are you, Steely Dan? Uh, <laughs> it's a great line. All right, here we go, folks. We're down to the ones. Mr. Scott Harvey, uh, what you got? This is where I lose everyone. Uh, my number one is Boyhood. Um, yeah, this movie, and again, we're rating. If I'm rating purely on my favorites, um, I think that this would be like three or four, maybe. I mean, I probably would have put a couple movies higher, but I think in terms of the best coming of age movies, this is it to me because I think this movie 
totally changed the way that I look at life and growing up. Um, again, Richard Linklater, my favorite director. Um, I, I think this movie is so much more than the stunt that it like, you know, it obviously it has that the billing of like being a stunt that, oh, he filmed it over 12 years, X minutes every year. Um, and, uh, and it, but it is so much more than that, right? Like it's clear that he knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. And, it's again, it changed the way I look at, at life because it teaches you to not put so much emphasis on like the big milestones in your life, right? Like graduations and your first kiss and all of these classic tropes that you see in all these coming of age movies. Um, I think that like in Before Sunrise, there's that line that Celine has about where she says like, oh, if there's God, I believe it's here in the in-between. Uh, it's in the space in between us. And that's what this movie is about, right? It's about how the moments that really make you who you are and the moments that define your life are those that are in between the big milestones. Um, and I think that's such a unique concept for um, a coming of age movie. And, and I think just teaches me to... Um, I mean, I, I think teaches all of us to appreciate the little moments in life that may seem mundane, uh, but actually turn out to be, you know, something super meaningful, something sublime, the things that you actually remember about your life after you've grown up. Um, and I think that that's why the movie, like, it goes along, you're like, okay, I'm watching them grow up, whatever, it feels like nothing's really happening, but then you sort of get towards the end and you realize man, you know, so you, you know, so much about these people. It's like emotionally overwhelming in those final scenes when he's going away to college. Um, and you know, Patricia Arquette has that great monologue about how, Oh, I just thought there would be more. Um, and I, yeah, I, it's, it's incredibly powerful, like, because the collection of moments all of a sudden add up to this incredible whole. Um, and so I, I think this movie is amazing because it's not just about the coming of age too of Mason, but also his parents in a lot of ways. Like we see uh, his mom going through all of these different relationships and, you know, having a lot of scars from the abusive husbands that she ends up with. And then Ethan Hawke, right, who's my favorite performance in the movie. I, I love the direction that his character goes in of like starting off like, oh, you think he's the stereotypical deadbeat dad like you see in a lot of these movies. And then by the end, he's like married to this Christian woman and um, is like a stable father and, you know, just really kind of a good, uh, positive role model in Mason's life. Um, and yeah, I, I uh, you know, I could go on and on. I love this movie. I think it is the best and most perceptive depiction of coming of age that has ever been in a movie. And like I said, it changed the way that I look at looked at life. So I can't deny the impact that it has had on me. Um, and it's the link later I decided to go with. Like I said, I just chose one because I could have made a whole list. This movie to me, as much as you said, this movie is not just the gimmick. To me, it kind of is. I think that the major praise of this movie came from how it was filmed and the way they did it. Uh, I think, unfortunately, the idea of seeing this person and looking at them at these different stages in their life over time was done better two years later in Moonlight, where we have not a like we aren't following this actual real person and filming him over however many years but we're telling that story and it feels so much more real to me uh i 
I think over time you can see Eller Coltrane just become more and more disillusioned with the idea of being in this movie. Like at the beginning when he's a kid, he's like so happy and so charismatic. And then as an adult, like as much as the character as he's growing up isn't at like is supposed to become less of this like cheerful wide-eyed kid uh it still like doesn't like he just seems like he wants it to be done but he's stuck uh, he's an emo teenager it's realistic <laughs> <laughs> sure uh but i think that I, ethan hawk is my favorite part of this movie as well uh i think he, i really like him i didn't love Patricia Arquette in this movie, to be completely honest. Uh, but, yeah, no. To me, this just didn't work for me when I saw it. Uh, yeah. The rest of you. I knew it was coming. I haven't seen it. I think it's great. Like I, I, I think it's really good. I think people hate on it a little bit too much. It's not flawless. It's not perfect. I get people don't like it. I think at its core, seeing someone mature over time and you like you you have that established like you you connect a little bit more with him just because you do see him actually age. It's not like the same actor for five years and a different actor for five years. Like it's just it works. It really works. Not to say that it like it wouldn't go on my list, but I get why Scott why Scott has it. Number one's a little bit egregious, but it, like I understand. I think if we want to talk about movies that rely on their gimmick, we can talk about the shameful disgrace that was the Best Picture winner of 2014, a film called Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, <laughs> which rides entirely on the one-shot gimmick. We can have that conversation on a different day. Um, love you, Jake. Um, but to me, again, this movie, again, like Scott said, is about the margins in between. Um, and those moments are what make it special. There's the moment where they, they sing that song for the first time, um, where him, the two kids, Ethan Hawke and Ethan Hawke's girlfriend, yeah, or I guess thinking they're only dating at the time, but like the way, the, like it's those little moments I think that makes the movie really special. The it's almost like a pop culture sort of like ride through the two thousands. You know, you have this moment where he's watching Dragon Ball Z, and then all of a sudden he's talking about the best movies of two thousand eight, and like all these Soldier little things. Boy, is Or yeah, the, the, they play crank that like when they're riding on bikes, and like that stuff is what like you know what defines people's lives that you don't really think about and i think that's the reason this movie is really special um the one thing again that takes it down a little bit i do think as he gets older especially in like the last couple of years i think like coltrane becomes a little less interesting not that he's like he is kind of a bad actor like for most of it but like he's still interesting when he's young to me like at the very back end he becomes a little less interesting which is what kind of loses me a little bit um but to me it shows how good this movie is that like it starts with like my least favorite coldplay song and I still ended up liking it because I hate the song Yellow with like a fiery passion. Um, I know this movie is again, it's it's this grand epic sort of journey that that it takes you on. And like, you know, it's in again, it's in the middle, it's all these times that are quote less interesting, but um, that's the stuff that makes up life. And I think like the thought of doing that is like what makes Linklater such a special filmmaker and why this is a really terrific movie, even though it's not one of my absolute, absolute favorites. All right, Brooklyn, you're number one. Uh, I was quite confident uh, before, before the show, uh, and nobody said it, so now, now I'm really scared. Uh, it's Stand By Me. When the night... But yeah, uh, I, I again, I, I relate. I relate to these kids. You know, they they weren't they weren't the popular ones. Uh, they were they were kind of they're kind of built together about about like. Or they're not not melt together, but they're brought together 
because of they were because they were un- uncool and uncool and awkward. Um, and it's literally them like they start at the end of one train track and they come out and they and it's not even like I love how they don't like really sugarcoat the ending. It's just kind of like all right, that's the end. And then you just kind of just move on, like and like, and that's life. Um, I love, I love the, I love having the perspective of, of the narrator. Um, this is in very, very much like almost like a kids, like a kids horror, um, because of the way that the kids are brought together, honestly through stress. Um, you think about like whatever, like they have like like the leeches, and then like, and then the train track as well, because you think because you think about it growing up throughout your throughout your entire time, the closest moments that you have with friends. Are the are the ones that were kind of scary? So, like, so for example, today I went skiing today with a friend. I ran, I ran into a tree. Was it the was it the like scary scary moment? Kind of, but like you know, it it was fun. And like sometimes sometimes you need those. Um, yeah, I think this is it's it's one from it's one from Stephen King that like it's not it's not full on in in his range, but you definitely get that it is still a Stephen King book and it is still trying to like make you uncomfortable, uncomfortable in a way. Uh, but again, uh, my, yeah, my favorite comic of age. Uh, yeah, I think this is a fantastic pick. I love this movie. Uh, I think that river Phoenix is easily the standout to me in this movie. His performance is incredible. And when he tells the story uh, around the fire of, what happened i don't want to spoil it because i know this movie is like from the mid 80s but still seeing that moment blind for the first time wrecked me and just when he tells that story he's incredible uh i think that uh will wheaton is giving a fantastic performance where uh when he and where when gordy and chris are talking and he basically just breaks down about the death of his brother before and he's just like why why did this have to happen? And it's like, why did it have to happen to him? Why did it have to happen to me? And like, he also talks about his relationship with his dad, where he's like, it was clear that my brother was dad's fate was my father's favorite son. And now all he has is me and I don't feel like I'm enough. It's just so well done. I think all four of the main characters are fantastic. I think Kiefer Sutherland is a great villain because like, he's not really there in the movie but those few times he shows up, he's just exactly what the movie needs him to be where he's this slightly older teenager who thinks he's this crazy bad guy and they're like, no, you're a misguided teenager who is and it's just so interesting to see all these dynamics. Uh, the Lardass Hogan scene is absolutely disgusting, and I love every minute of it. Uh, it's it's so gross, and it's so perfect, exactly where it comes in the movie. Uh, yeah, this movie uh, is fantastic. Uh, the rest of you, why did you not have it? This, yeah, this is actually, I think, it's pretty close between this and The Shining, but I think this is my favorite Stephen King adaptation, actually. Um, I think it is one of those sort of 80s movies that transcends that era in such a special way. And I think, like, even more than someone like James Dean, to me, River Phoenix is, like, the young actor we lost that I will, like, forever be the saddest about. Um, His performances all throughout the 80s and and early 90s, like, if you've ever seen Running on Empty, he's, like, such an incredible actor. And, like, there is a bit of a disconnect. Like, he is clearly, like, such a better actor than the kids he's around, which, like, it's kind of unfair, but, like, they are friends, and he's got this presence that the rest of them kind of lack. And I guess that's like the small thing that sort of takes me 
this is like Will Wheaton and Jerry O'Connell I don't love in this movie the same way that I do sort of especially River Phoenix but I mean it's a super fun movie I love the campfire and they're talking about Goofy and they're having the argument like what animal is he like that's <laughs> something I've had in real life before um it's a is really he a cow? Is he a dog? Time. What is he? <laughs> Why does he have a dog? If he is a dog, yeah. But yeah, like, we're both dogs. The leech scene is great too. Like, it's again, it's a like classic. You know, this is like one of the you know cl most classic sort of coming of age stories, and it's like super fun. And the scene at the train too, and they're trying to get out of the way, and like that stuff's just so memorable. And it's a movie I've seen a bunch of times. We'll you know watch every so often because I, I really love it. But um, the other, other movies just like connected emotionally for me, and I think that's what I like about the genre the most. And this one just doesn't quite do that for me. Uh, yeah, I've seen this one time um, several years ago, and it was good. I liked it. Um, some of the gross out stuff doesn't always work for me. Also, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I just didn't quite connect to it. There might be like a nostalgia thing there that like I may I think I may have just sort of roped it in with a lot of the other 80s coming of age movies that I'm not a huge fan of. But um, I completely entertain the possibility that uh, it would go up on my rewatch and that I'm probably being overly unfair to it. I haven't seen it. Oh, wow. Well, I, I can't recommend this enough either. Spence, watch this. Uh, we go to Paul for Paul's number one. Yeah, I had a lot of new movies on my list. Um, this is not that. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. This is a this is a yikes from earlier. This is Mike Nichols' The Graduate. Um, again, I think one of the greatest American films of all time. It's like the, one of the greatest distillations of Americana, of like this era of sort of like suburban America that is so aimless and directionless and is sort of meandering through life and like needs this kind of shot in the arm. Um, and Benjamin is this kid who has no idea what he wants to do. And everything he, he does is kind of at the whims of other people. He doesn't really act on his own. It's about what other people want him to do, what other people need him to do, fulfilling certain roles for different people um, and how that sort of, he tries to take hold of, the, of his life. And that's what sort of the last 20 minutes is all about. Um, obviously the soundtrack is legendary, but it is like some of the best film, like Mrs. Robinson is just one of the best songs ever made for a movie ever. It's an incredible song. Um, I think that the montage set to Sound of Silence is like maybe the greatest film montage ever made. I think like the way it chronicles his summer, um, where he's going, sort of his regular practices. Um, that image, if anybody's seen the movie, of the hallway after after they, they're in the rain and they have that confession. And then you see Mrs. Robinson sort of zoomed out and she's in all white in this hallway. Um, and it's just an image that will never leave my mind for me. And this movie is full of that. Obviously, the final shot, super iconic. Um, I, it's also super funny, and that's the thing that's you know kind of overlooked in this movie. It's it's hilarious, and it's like sort of some deadpan stuff. But like when he's interacting with the guy at the hotel, like all of that stuff is so well realized. Dustin Hoffman's incredible. Catherine Ross, um, you know, one of the great sort of film crushes of this era. Um, and nobody should ever take date ideas from Benjamin Braddock because he took <laughs> Elaine on one of the worst first dates I've ever seen. But, well, that was the point, though. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so I had this as well at number eight. Um, yeah, I watched it for the first time last year and I kind of expected that, oh, it's an old age movie. I don't know what this is gonna do for me, but it's just so timeless, it really is. And because, and I, I like what Lucas said in the chat, I think it sums up a lot of what I was kind of gonna say is that, yeah, this it perfectly captures that period. And I almost put Francis Ha on my list, which I think is another movie that kind of does this, of capturing <laughs> this perfect period like when you are 
in between graduating college and like then starting your life, right? Where it's like, I, um, I'm old enough, I should be like, fine on my own, whatever now. But at the same time, I feel like I haven't been quite well prepared yet to be like a functioning adult. Um, and that's kind of the predicament that Benjamin finds himself in. Um, and yeah, these two women, you know, complicate matters. And I love the, some of the camera techniques in this movie too. I really wasn't expecting like the uh, cinematography to be so bold, like they're underwater shots and like the just weirdly like fluid camera movement, movements that are going on a lot of time during the movie feels really sort of radical for its era and just for the type of movie that it is. So um, yeah, this movie is a classic for a reason uh, and I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, this was another one that I had not seen and then I saw it showed up on two people's lists and then it was someone's number one. So I watched it. This movie is incredible. Uh, I think it's just so interesting to see. Uh, Paul kind of hit the nail on the head. It's this person who is making decisions because other people want him to make decisions. Like even the first time that he ends up like in a like sleeping with Mrs. Robinson, he's not very enthusiastic about it. Like like she tries to seduce him at his house, and he's like no, I'm not going to do this. And then he gets back to her house and he's like, okay, fine. Like, it's like, I guess if this is what you want and if this is what you think I should do, then I'll do it. And then he realizes, like, he meets Elaine and at first he's like, well, I've got this going on with your mother, so I need to push you away. And then he realizes she's really nice and she becomes almost like, the first thing in his life where he knows what he wants and what he wants is her, but he already has completely screwed it up and made it impossible for that to work in a way. And then seeing the way the dynamic that suddenly shifts the moment that the daughter comes into the picture, seeing the way it shifts with Mrs. Robinson, where all of a sudden it becomes a lot more sinister almost uh, and just very different. And then, the way both of those relationships progress until the end of the film, the only things I knew going into it were the iconic line of Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me, aren't you? And uh, 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 the final shot and just seeing everything that happens between those two things was fantastic. Like the moment that stands out to me the most is when he shows up at the hotel with Elaine and immediate, and he's like, yeah, this is a nice place. She's like, you ever been here? It's like, nope, I've never been here. And then immediately someone walks by and calls him by the fake name that he's been using. <laughs> and immediate, and you can tell she's like, hmm, that's weird, but I guess they just didn't recognize you. And then a second person, and a third person, and a fourth person, and a fifth person. And then they leave, and they're walking down the street, and someone's coming in, and they go, oh, hi. And she's like, okay, something is up here. There's no way that six different people would call you this. And just, this is fantastic. The, so the soundtrack is iconic for a reason it's beautiful uh yeah this was a fantastic choice i've been meaning to watch it for a long time so thank you for putting it on your list uh you too what's going on uh, i haven't seen it sorry oh yeah yeah so uh this movie really not that great uh, i like its ideas i think i think it's yeah go ahead whatever i think its themes and ideas are good I like the idea of them. I think they're not done very well. I just don't really connect with any of the characters in the movie. I don't really give a shit about the plot. Like the, the movie basically, like, 
in my in my review, I was like, okay, I think it's good objectively, but the second and it really it's sort of it's one of those nitpicky things where it just sort of takes me out immediately is when Mrs. Robinson is like, oh, Ben raped me, and that sets in that sets in motion for everything else. Something happens. Like I know that shouldn't detract from the film the way it does, but it's one of those things that the second it happens, I immediately get disconnected and I can't really give a shit about everything else because I'm that just horrified at it. If that makes sense. I sort of get why people like it, but I just, it's not for me and it won't be for me. I also love when he's pretending to be the priest at the gas station at the end. I think that part's <laughs> fucking hilarious. I also love when he's floating in the pool and they just go, Ben, what are you doing? He's like, I'm floating in the pool. And they're like, no, Ben, what are you doing with your life? Like, have you thought about going to graduate school? And it's like, can I just, can't I just relax for once? Like, this is what I want to do right now. What a strange it's, birthday present they get him to. Um, <laughs> Coho, I know that that's you saying that, and you can go away. Spence, bring it home. What's your number one? Uh, my number one, uh, I need points. So, uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Oh, yeah, Brooklyn had it before. Uh, I have a lot of words about this. I want to try and save some for another time, hopefully. But uh, this is one of like the most personal movies for me. It's a movie that I see a lot of myself in, which like there, there's, there's, some, there's, there's levels. There's the idea of like, oh yeah, I sort of see something here. And then there's the idea of, oh, this is exactly what my high school life was. And I just felt so much kinship with Charlie. And seeing everything he went through just wrecked me. And seeing so much of my friends and his friends. And just, it's a movie I live, I just live in my head constantly. Of, of like coloring high school to be like the most acceptable version because that's the only way to get through it. I feel like Charlie did that a lot as well. Of just He's went through so much shit of, and I'm trying to make it work. And Holtzman just died. Um, I, just, I love the movie to pieces. I don't think I'll ever really love anything more than this. It's a perfect movie. I don't know what else really to say. Um, so I... Oh, I'm sorry. Am I, am I good to go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I have this at five. Um... So I watched this. I did watch this for for the for the show. Um, I, I know I talked about this to people before, but this is my wife's favorite movie. So it was an interesting experience because I was watching it for the first time, but she was almost like watching me react to certain scenes. Um, particularly the particularly whenever he says, "I am both happy and sad at the same time," and I'm still and I'm still trying to figure out how that could be. I was like, "All right, we're going we're going down this road." Um, it was kind of similar in vain to like Inside Out, um, and in that sense, it's kind of like a right place at the right time. Um, the soundtrack for this fucking slaps. Um, Heroes is the probably one probably one of the better songs that you can use for that for the uh, like for, for the tunnel, and it's just that it's that feeling of um, it's that feeling of. Uh, Sorry, I, I had it here somewhere in my notes. Tunnel, the tunnel scene and the importance of feeling nothing, but it's also being at the top of the world, and especially from like from like Logan Lerman's perspective, where he feel where he feels like absolutely nobody. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out as well is that there are definitely parts of this, despite it being grounded, it feels like um, it's written from the perspective of like what a what a freshman thinks a cool kid does, because it's like. I don't think the brownie scene actually happens. I don't think I don't think there's a couple other scenes scenes that like are like logistical, but um, it is kind of a it is a way to kind of be have like fantasy, but not have it be like too out too out there. Yeah, um, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I 
absolutely adore this film. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I have literally written an essay uh, about this movie for university and about the main character and why I relate to him. Uh, I think this is just such a beautiful story of a misfit finding the other misfits around him and be and realizing that he has a place where he belongs. Um, I think I agree. The soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, my favorite single moment, uh, there's two moments in this movie that always stand out for me. One is when he just blacks out and he wakes up and he's just fought all of these guys. And it's like, he is just like, you see his bruised knuckles. You see these guys laying on the ground and you can figure out exactly what happened without them having to show you any of it. And I think it's beautiful. And then the other one is when they're at the party and they're playing truth or dare and they go, I dare you to kiss the prettiest girl in the room. And he makes the biggest mistake of his life, but it's also like the bravest thing ever where he just like, he is sitting directly next to his girlfriend and he leans over, kisses them and everyone Everyone immediately, literally, Patrick immediately just goes, well, that's fucked up. Like, everyone knows, even the characters and the audience, that this was not how this was supposed to go. We were just giving you this dare to move on. And it went so, so wrong. I love this movie. Uh, Fantastic pick. The other two. Uh, Yeah. Once again, would have been on my list if I had not known that other people would have it. Um, Absolutely love this movie. Um, I think, like, you know, a lot of us, when I watched it for the first time, when I was in high school, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest movie of all time. Um, And, you know, the thing about it is that I think makes it so good is that even after I've grown up and, like, lived a little bit more life, even when I watch it and I realize, oh, this part shouldn't work. This X element of the movie should probably shouldn't work. Like something about the way that like they just take him in. So without really asking any questions and um, it's just like they're, they go out of their way to be so welcoming to Charlie, even though his personality is a little bit of a wet blanket at the beginning for obvious reasons. But um, I think that that has ranked, you know, rings a little false. And Sam is like a little bit of a Manny Pixie dream girl. If you want to go down that route, but even despite these elements, I think it gets the emotions so right. And that is why the movie um, stands the test of time. Um, and I just think that, um, yeah, again, it's it's so specific in those emotions at this point of your life. Um, the way that certain things can mean so much to you, like the first kiss scene is so great. That, you know, the, she says, I just want the first person you kiss to be somebody who loves you. Like, again, like... Would that ever happen? Maybe not. But is like the earnestness of it, like doesn't it it gets you. And, you know, and also the ending of the movie, the last scene when they're going through the tunnel and Charlie's whole monologue is like always going to be one of the most special movie scenes to me. Um, I think it's I think this is a great this movie is a great um, case study for why the author of the book should direct the movie sometimes, because I think he just gets everything that is that is right about it. you know, the, the novel and is able to translate it into a digestible movie. Um, so 
Yeah, and no, no faults whatsoever with this pick. This was one of my favorite movies for a long time, and then I rewatched it, and I just now feel such a disconnect with the Sam character that I think like that's the part that really loses it for me. I think like both as a performer, because I don't think that Emma Watson really hits the dramatic beats it wants you to. And then I, I don't love the way that it deals with some of the stuff about his past. I think that's done like in a sort of passing haphazard way that I think like um, disconnects me a little bit from the movie itself. Um, I still think the ending is really great. And like, it's weird because I don't love the whole movie, but then for whatever reason at the very end, it still gets me every time. I think that the closing line still hits. Um, and because of this movie, sort of the ending of a different movie sort of is lessened because of the use of the song again. Um, but I think that overall, like it's True. it's it's a it's a very solid movie, and like it like was special to me at one point. Um, but just for me, it's fallen a bit over time, and it's become a thing of um, it was one of my favorite movies. Now it just it doesn't have that same effect on me for whatever reason. So um, I still like it. Just as time goes on, uh, it's sort of changed in my mind. Well, all right. After two hours and 45 minutes, <laughs> I should have narrowed down the topic to a certain era, and I'm sorry, because there was almost no overlap. It is time for the finalists. Uh, remind me, Cody, your co-ho, do I do the overall top ten, or do I give grades first? I think you do grades first, I believe. I think you, give you can't just give me a thumbs up. I asked an either or overall list first. Grades. 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 Okay, grades. there we go. And then I think winner, then loser, and then yeah, or whatever, yeah. Uh, so grades first, uh, I will say I had things set in place at the beginning. They have changed based on things that were said. So, uh, your winner of tonight's episode coming in with a grade of a B minus is Mr. Paul Oyama. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I cannot believe uh, this. Wow. That's crazy. I, I think that. I didn't love only yesterday, but everything else is something that I think is either really good, I'll like more on a rewatch, or I can see why you had it. So I think wow. this is great. Uh, in second place, coming in with a grade of a C. Uh, it's close. Rough grades. Close. Jesus Christ. Uh, coming it's with like a grade a of a C. We have Adelaide Spence. Yeah, not last. <laughs> I will say, Spence, uh, you almost came last just for all of the things you were saying during this. <laughs> Believe me when I say you had the furthest to fall and almost did. But no, you have uh, some of my all-time favorites are in your top of your list. And the rest of them that I've seen, I think, are really good movies. Uh the only one that people seem to have as a big knock against you was one that I haven't seen, so that kind of saved you. Uh, coming in third place, also with a C, Scott Harvey. Wow. <laughs> uh, look, I don't love your one, I don't love your two, but the rest of your list, everything else I thought was really, really strong. You don't have any movies that I think are objectively bad or that I hate, you just have movies that I think are overrated. Uh, but uh, you had The Graduate, you had 20th Century Women, uh, you had Almost Famous, you had 8th Grade. Uh, yeah, so that means in last place with a C-, minus, Mr. Brooklyn Vale, you had some great picks. Uh, you were the only one with Stand By Me, you were the only one with Mean Girls, you were the only one with The Breakfast Club. My big things are you had When Marnie Was There, which I just really don't like, 
Uh, you had a couple movies that I don't know how I feel about them being considered coming of age. Uh, yeah. So now the overall list. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, number yeah. 10, Whisper of the Heart. Number 9, The Edge of 17. Number 8, Sing Street. Number 7, 20th Century Women. Number 6, Boyhood. Number 5, Stand By Me. Number 4, Lady Bird. Number 3, The Graduate. Number 2, Moonlight. And number 1, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Infinite uh, list. Yeah, I... I can't complain about that top 10. I think that's a good list. Um, so, yeah, it's been almost three hours. I think we're going to get out of here. Is there anything else I have to do, Cody? You're uh, on screen. I know. Um, Hi, next Cody. week is Kirk's uh, two-star movies. Uh, he has three locked. Um, I think he needs one more. He has some other people send lists, um, but uh, – Things can change by the list you send in. So it's two stars or lower on his letterbox. Believe me, you have plenty of ammo. Just go look. Um, you'll be quite sad. Uh, then if you like animated movies at all, <laughs> just go look. Uh, <laughs> best movies of 2014. If this does well, like I've said numerous times before, if that does well, we'll do more years. If not, I'll do years. Um, heist movies. And then worst best picture winners. Believe me, there are plenty to choose from in that. Courtroom movies. Um uh, Scott Harvey is the only lock um, because he has some legal thing that I could get sued or something. I don't know. He told me something. So, uh, movie sequels, any sequel. I don't care. It doesn't have to be the second one. It just, whatever. Have fun with that episode. And then if you want to be on the top 100 series, your list have to be in by March 1st. Kirk and Coho are pretty confident they have their panel, but your list could change their mind. So, send something in. I still haven't sent it in, but I'm locked. So, that's a battle. So, yeah, good job, Cam. Good job, everybody. Whoever put the graduate at first wins the list. So, it's a good job. Let me back to host and then pick worse movies next time, please. We'll see. <laughs> and oh, just real quick, I just want to say this. I'm going to start doing this when I'm on the show, but, like, on my letterbox, I'm going to post my long list because I mentioned, like, things that are in my honorable mention. So, if anybody's curious about other stuff I had sort of in contention, I'm going to post that tonight. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you all for watching. Coho, play the outro. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. Your guilt has been determined. This is merely a sentencing hearing. Now, what will it be? Death or exile? You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. So. Normally, I would say a Wiedersehen, but since what a Wiedersehen actually means is till I see you again, and since I never wish to see you again, to you, sir, I say goodbye.